Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. So in 2014, in September, Charlotte Green made headlines when she quit on air. Uh, let's take a look at this clip. Now, everything you heard is why I, the actual owner of the Alaska Cannabis Club, will be dedicating all of my energy toward fighting for freedom and fairness, which begins with legalizing marijuana here in Alaska. And as for this job, well, not that I have a choice, but fuck it, I quit. So as you saw from that clip, Green ended her segment on marijuana by revealing that she was a proponent of legalization and was the owner of the Alaskan Cannabis Club, which was the subject of her actual news report. But since this has happened, she's actually um, facing some charges. The state launched a series of undercover operations and raids at her club, ultimately charging her with 14 serious criminal offenses of misconduct involving a controlled substance. She has said on these charges that it's almost dizzying when you try to make sense of it. It could literally cost me the rest of my adult life. These charges could add up to 54 years in prison. Uh, so people who are commenting on this say that it's interesting that the charges against Green, who is black, are particularly alarming given the government's history of disproportionately targeting people of color for minor marijuana offenses with tough-on-crime policies that fueled mass incarceration. So I want to get a reaction from you guys. Do you think that this is worth it, I guess, because it's, it's worth to note that pot was legalized in Alaska in November of 2014, so her story broke in September, and now she's facing these charges because they were saying, basically, um, that she got a little bit ahead of herself. Cynthia Franklin, the director of the state's Alcohol and Marijuana Control Office, said that Green's Club and two other businesses are facing consequences for launching before regulations were in place. These people got ahead and said, we're not going to wait. So that is the defense that they are saying 
why they are coming after this woman. To me, it does seem disproportionate. Would you agree? Yeah, or? 54 years in prison for this? Are you yeah. kidding me right now? No, this is the perfect, this is a perfect example of what the country has done with mass incarceration and how they specifically targeted certain groups of people, minorities, black people especially. This is this is insane, right? Okay, so she broke some laws. You want to give her a citation? You want some community service? You want her to pay a fine? I get it. I get it. She got ahead of herself, right? But this is involving a substance that can't kill you. This is involving a substance that was eventually legalized in the state a month later or two months, two months later. later. Uh, what, what are we having a conversation about? Is she a violent criminal that should be put behind bars because she's a threat to society? No, absolutely not. This makes me so angry. This makes me so angry. It's a waste of resources. For all the taxpayers in Alaska, you're going to be paying for this. You pay for this, okay? Your tax money is going to this garbage instead of paying for the schools that your, your kids are going to, instead of paying for the infrastructure in your state or your city. Like, this is insane. It makes me beyond angry, and I hope that, you know, she somehow get some justice in this case because she does not deserve to be behind bars. She just doesn't. Yeah, it's obviously political. It's a vendetta. I mean, the fact that it's legal now, it, it's like, you know, like you said, they should give her a fine or something if they really want to make an example out of her. Give her the fine, move on. And it's, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about, like, all this white-collar crime. You got the guy at Wells Fargo who was the overseeing uh, all these the, the scam that they were pulling and now they've said that, 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 that he's not getting his bonuses or something he's not going to get his whatever several millions of dollars but there's no prosecution of him there's no prosecution of any of the bankers and what they did and this girl had a pot shop um, you know a couple months before the pot shops were legal good for her really good, good for you yeah. good for you you, you we have an epidemic of heroin addiction in the country right now and the main reason why is because Pharmaceutical companies kept pushing doctors and convincing doctors to overprescribe opioids and prescription painkillers. So they got addicted to that, and then once they didn't have ex access to those prescriptions anymore, went to the black market and started taking heroin, and people are actually dying because of that. Are we having a discussion about what we're going to do to the pharmaceutical companies? Of course not, because they're people in power, right? They're people who have the money, they're the people who have the ability to do whatever the hell they want without any consequences. We're talking about drugs that actually kill people. And, and there's no consequences for that. But when it comes to marijuana, which does nothing but give you joy and happiness, we're going to go after her? Really? Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully, to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Tuesday, October 11th, 2016. So I have been told. Again, we'll be here uh, every day uh, for the next week and a half. Uh, just tune in, uh, normal broadcast time for all of the programs generally 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific so just tune in if uh you get constructive information from the cows uh one other quick comment i just wanted to make sure i stated again for the record uh in my view uh any non-white person really anybody but particularly for non-white people uh who have uh, had you know unflattering discourteous things to say about uh, recently deceased uh, prosecuting attorney in Brooklyn, New York, uh, Ken Thompson. Uh, people who, you know, were upset 
with what happened in the Peter Lien case. Uh, anyone that is like name calling him and talking bad about him, like hours after his transition, that is beyond a demonstration of anti-blackness that is total absence of black self-respect and I'm sure that is something that Dr. Francis Cress Welsing uh, would look at and shake her head and say that's exactly what I'm talking about regardless of what you think about what he did or didn't do it certainly cannot be anything constructive moving towards problem solving it certainly cannot be an acknowledgement or reflection of black self-respect to degrade a dead black father because you didn't agree with how he responded to racism. Moving forward, our program for today, man, we have one of the most dangerous uh, folks in the Northwest Hemisphere. Uh, She is facing 10 felonies in Anchorage, Alaska. Man, dangerous person here. Um, I think a lot of folks saw her in 2014 when she uh, had a viral sensation when she left her job at KTV, KTVA in uh, Alaska. I think that's a CBS affiliate uh, where she was reporting online about uh, the cannabis uh, industry in Alaska and acknowledged that she owned uh, this site and said that she was going to move on to help uh, end prohibition uh, against cannabis and continuing with her enterprise and uh, said effort as she exited stage left. Uh, she has since uh, done a lot of really outstanding work. I would have to uh, give credit uh, the website. It's amazing. Lots of just really thorough, really well-researched uh, information uh, about cannabis and all aspects of cannabis uh, in terms of uh, legalization, uses, uh, what you know, some of the issues are around the effort to legalization, getting into word use and what was written into the laws in different states, how they differ, what's coming up with uh, the elections. It's going to be on the ballot in several states, including uh, California, uh, coming up for the November election. Really great information uh, at her website. Uh, and she even talks about her own situation, the arrest and what she's uh, facing in Alaska. Really great to have her on the program to kind of get her views, hear what happened to her, and if she is indeed, as she states, if this is an example of a modern-day lynching. Uh, joining us live, our guest, Miss Charlotte Green. Miss Charlotte Green, are you with us? I'm here. Great, great. Thank you so much for sharing some of your time. Uh, Really looking forward to uh, hearing some of your views, hearing what's happened to you. Um, For our listeners, I know some folks, this might be their first time hearing from you. Uh, Anything that you think it would be helpful for people to know about who you are, the work that you do? Well, I created the Alaska Cannabis Club. Still to this date, it's Alaska's only safe access point. Beyond that, I'm the executive director of Go Green. Green is an acronym for Grassroots Elevation Through Education Networking Summits in a number of different cities for free where we pull in different cannabis community leaders of color and ask them to share their knowledge and experiences with um, communities that need this information in order to take advantage of all the opportunities that the end of cannabis prohibition is presenting uh, the economical opportunities, the medicinal value in cannabis. All of that needs to be shared, um, and it takes 
those of us that know to step in to these communities and share that information. So that's what that organization does. I also host a cannabis talk show. Um, our main broadcasting platform is Facebook. We've reached more than 33 million people since we started this summer. Um, and it's um, a really great show. We have a lot of fun on there and share a lot of really cool information. And we're producing a print companion, Her Flower Magazine, this winter to go along with that. So that'll be printed quarterly. You'll be able to order it online on a printed version or a digital copy. It's up to you. And I have a few other business endeavors, but that would take a lot of time. <laughs> so, yeah, I've just been been working. It shows. Uh, you can visit her website, uh, her name, charlogreen.com. Uh, charlogreen.com. Right. It's linked uh, in the description for the program. You can visit her uh, YouTube channel as well, Charlotte Green Live, and you can see a lot of the yep. videos. A lot of that stuff is on the website anyway, so you can just go there and you'll be, take, uh, you'll be mm-hmm. taking care of charlogreen.com. Uh, for people who have not seen you, uh, you are a black female, is that correct? Yes. Right on. Uh, this program, Cows, Context of White Supremacy, uh, I use the two terms racism and white supremacy as synonyms. Uh, Use the same definition for both terms. The definition I use is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? I'm sorry, the the phone cut out near the end of that. They classify as white. Uh, a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated mm-hmm. to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I would say that's, that's accurate. Okay. Right on. Um, before I get to uh, some of the questions, just to uh, reiterate, really awesome uh, work, the website. It's really well done and super informative. I think if you go there, you'll get lots of uh, great information. Uh, she had a great talk with a uh, uh, whole panel uh, folks in Colorado uh, where they were talking about uh, some of the issues around uh, racism even after uh, cannabis is uh, legalized in different areas. Uh, really great information. The hard work shows. I was very impressed. Um, Thank you. You were born in Anchorage, Alaska. Is that correct? No, I was born in Austin, Texas. Born and Austin. to be correct, I I don't know if you would consider me technically black. I'm first generation American. Both of my parents were born and raised in Nigeria. So, Do you... so that's that. But I was born in Austin. Born in Austin. Do you classify yourself as black? Sure. I'm, I, I know that's what the rest of the world sees me as. Um, but I also know um, that my heritage is like from Nigeria. I'm just one generation removed from that. Okay. Okay. At what age mm-hmm. did you migrate from Austin to Alaska? I was about seven seven or eight years old, okay. in second grade. Mm-hmm. What was it 
like I looked uh, online, it's like I think the population of black people in Alaska is like five percent or less. Like it seems pretty low. Were you were you like the only black person in in some of your classes or in some settings? Yeah, definitely. Wow. <laughs> wow. But it's um, in high school that. the time there were only six high schools across the city so um a really really diverse population you'd be surprised how diverse it it looks and feels and while there might only be five percent of the population um that's african-american it might all be that we're more concentrated in the city so it feels like there's a lot more than that well not a lot more but more than that was racism an issue when you were growing up at all, being mistreated because you No. No? Not not growing up. Uh-uh. So I think that's why so much of what's happening um, has come as a surprise to me. I used to brag about how forward-thinking people were up in Alaska, but I, I may have just been shielded. I may not have been threatening then. Hmm. Huh. That is interesting. Where, like, now that you're older, uh, have you seen any reports that suggest racism is a problem in, like, Anchorage specifically? Um, outside of what's been going on with me and how the media portrays uh, the communities that have more people of color living in them, um, no, it's nothing like down south in the Bible Belt or what I've seen down there. I went to college in Texas um, and that's where I've seen like overt racism. So comparing that to this, it's not like that. Hmm. What did you see in Texas? I'm just like people yelling, go home and word out the street just randomly like a night out with friends. Like that sort of thing. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that is uh... a... Yeah. <laughs> Pretty it's like bl- racist, right? <laughs> For sure. There's other stuff to that. Um, no, just um, outside of my own situation where it's blatant um, how I've been portrayed by the press, which I was a member of, um, being called things like ghetto and trashy. And it's wow. like I was just your news anchor. Also, <laughs> this is on like your former station, KTVA. They referred to. I'm sorry? No, it was just like, have you guys forgotten? It, it wasn't that long ago. I'm sure you have something t I remember you by name. We worked alongside each other. This is ridiculous, but that's just what it is. And this was your former network where you worked? No, not my former station. They've actually, um, I'd say they've... Uh, been the biggest station about the situation out here. Seems like the other ones really have um, a chip on their shoulder about it. It seems like my former station has really taken steps to rise above everything that's happened. And I appreciate that. I really loved that job before I quit. It's just, I was being called to do something more important. I think that might be something that um, a lot of people don't know. You went to school for journalism. Like you, 
you were, in, as you stated, you were enjoying your career as a reporter and took that seriously, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got my degree. I worked as a news anchor and journalist in the southeast region of the nation after graduating from college for about five or six years before I moved back up to Anchorage, Alaska. And then about a year into that job is when I did that, but I quit things and stepped away from that. Wow. And just to, before I move on, just in, with regards to how you have been portrayed uh, in local news outlets, they've seriously, like, on television or in print, like, called you ghetto. What, what were some of the other adjectives? Ghetto, trashy, um, a lot of she doesn't deserve to be the face of Alaska or Alaskan cannabis. And it's um, one news outlet actually got a drag queen to, I guess, dress up as me. And they took these pictures of her in like this prostitute's outfit. Um, um, on a sidewalk and like put that on the front page of their year end issue that they distributed across the state. So, yeah, that's I am devastated. I am devastated. Like, I mean, that is why I'm so sorry that you had to uh, endure that. And some of that, in my opinion, uh, our guest, Miss uh, Charlotte Green, if you go to her site, very attractive, beautiful uh, young lady. So I'm sure some of that is just being upset seeing this young, super attractive uh, young lady trying to get things done and having the audacity to walk away from her job in such a flamboyant manner. But um, that, why I, uh, not to like gawk at something that I view as, as a total act of racism, but uh, do you have like screenshots or images of this save so people can see? No. Oh man. No. To just having that sort of, that sounds pretty close to like Texas, you know, just flat out, just calling you a nigger in my opinion. Do you? It, it does. Okay. It does. Doesn't it? It, to me, it's the exact same thing in my opinion. Um, yeah. I'd say um, that, I would prefer that other stuff because at least it's like passing. This is like calculated um, stuff that they're trying to do to damage um, not just my reputation, but my legacy. It's, it's unfair. And this case is another instance of all of that. Wow. What uh, just so that people get all the particulars, uh, I was uh, being a bit sarcastic in the introduction, talking about you know what a dangerous guest we have on the program today. But in all seriousness, mm-hmm. you are facing uh, ten felonies, uh, fourteen offenses in total, and if convicted, like maximum fifty-four years. Is that accurate? That's true. Okay. Can you uh, kind of break down like what the most serious charges are and some of this, like this was like a month long operation of surveillance against you unbeknownst to you. Is that accurate? It was really long. Yeah. Oh, can you share some of the details? Possession with intent to distribute um, marijuana. That's what the, each of the felonies is, all 10 of them. It's just the same thing again and again and again and again and again. 
Okay. And each carries a five-year penalty for it. So all of it's cannabis. And mind you what, this time cannabis was already legal. We had already legalized it. So, so yeah. Cannabis being legalized in Alaska uh, in the end of 2014, like November, uh, and your arrest situation came in early 2015. Is that correct? No. no. <laughs> September of the next year is when they press charges. September. So is that September 2015? Of uh, yeah, we legalized in 14. Okay. And okay. um, the charges were pressed in 15. Okay, okay. And they <laughs> mm-hmm. had, like, undercover enforcement agents had been coming to the Alaska Cannabis Club, I guess, to purchase? Or... Right. Okay, okay. And I, I think it's important for, I guess, just because you said the 10 felonies, they are for a distribution of cannabis that, uh, I guess, these undercover agents that came to the Alaska Cannabis mm-hmm. Club, they never purchased anything from you. Is that accurate? That's right. And what we are is a collective or a co-op, so people can't just walk in off the street. There's actually a process you have to go through to become a member. Um, And part of that process is this contract where you become um, a part owner of the collective and you're allowed to contribute and take from the collective whatever it is you need and um, cover that with donations so that's what the officers they went through the process and became members and um yeah traded among other members never with me but because i created the club um they're basically saying if um a restaurant drop something into someone's food, then you'd be able to sue the the restaurant as opposed to the server. Um, So that's what they're doing with me is charging me for all of the club members' cannabis. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. And just so that we can get a sense, like how many, how many people were members at this time of the Alaska Cannabis Club? Hmm. Maybe during the first raid, I'd say we were probably around a thousand members. Okay. And this is 2015? Yeah. Okay. March. And how many times was your residence or your establishment raided? Twice. Twice. Once in March, once in August. Mm -hmm. Wow. And can you talk about what happened during the raid? Um, it was like it is in movies. The cops were all in their squad gear and they banged really, really loud at the door. It was kind of odd, um, extremely odd. It was during club hours, so we had three or four members along with volunteers. Um, My siblings were helping out at that time, so they banged on the door. Um, We opened it right before... Um, they swung the battering ram into it and they had all of their weapons drawn and it felt like a stick up, a lot of yelling. Um, it was terrifying watching like people that you care about 
from people that you created this place for um, that close to having their lives cut short if they were to flinch or react. Um, it's something that no one should ever have to experience, especially not for a plant that's out here killing cancer and saving lives. Wow, I'm so sorry you had to endure that twice. Um, you and you know other other residents, people that you care about. Um, that uh, I'm I'm counting that it, to me at least suggests two acts of violence: uh, the imaging that you described earlier and um, dressing up someone and putting that as an act of violence, and then this also seems like an act of violence uh, to me, which you experienced. Um, do you think they would have done this same type of, you know, violent assault if you were white? Of course not. Hmm. Hmm. Another act of racism. Um, so they rate, did, did they stop you like at any point and say, okay, we're rating, we're rating your establishment. You're, you know, you cannot function anymore. Or did they just come and, and take property and what have you and arrest people? They just took property. They didn't arrest anyone or leave um, any of the paperwork that they were supposed to. It was literally just like we had just been um, in a stick-up. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't until after the second raid where I pushed my attorney to get answers, um, and she said she'd have to contact the attorney general and figure that makes more sense than me not knowing when the next time a dozen people in masks and guns are going to run into my house and hold up my family members. So <clears throat> that's what she did. And then they pressed charges immediately after she went looking for answers. Mm. Wow. So they charged you, I think you said they pressed charges in September of 2015? Yeah. Okay. Are you supposed to have, is this going to be like a jury trial or is this just going to be a bench trial? Definitely jury. Jury trial, okay, okay. When, yeah, with all of the voters that legalized cannabis in 2014, they're going to have to decide whether they changed their minds about sending people to jail over a plant that they also voted had medicinal value in 1998. So, we'll see. And is this, the trial is going to be in Anchorage? Oh, the, the, the trial, is it going to be in Anchorage? Yes, most likely. Okay. Are you concerned at all? It, I, I think there are a lot of whites there. It could potentially be a lot of white people on this jury, probably not a whole lot of black people. Uh, does that concern you at all? No. Um, <clears throat> I have more faith in the people um, of Alaska, of Anchorage. Um, we've already decided where we stand on this. So if things end up where I, the jury looks nothing like the community I come from, I can still rely on the fact that <clears throat> if they aren't at least concerned with 
my own personal liberties or the medicinal value in cannabis, they would be concerned about the fact that they would waste more than $6 million on housing and feeding and clothing me for the next half century when we're in an insane budget crisis here in Alaska. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's it just, it's lose, 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 except for whoever it is that might have some personal vendetta, some personal motivation behind all of this. Everyone loses if I end up having to go away. Are you concerned that the news coverage that you talked about that's been so flagrantly biased against you, that that might impact potential jury members? Um, absolutely. As a journalist that used to write those stories, I know the power that it has. Um, so it's just on me to keep them on their toes. What's funny is I reach just as many if not more people with my own broadcasts than I do on Facebook and on my social media. So I have my own platform to share my side of things. And it's against them to keep them in mind so they aren't effing with my life, then that's what I'll have to do. Hmm. Context of white supremacy again, our guest Miss Charlo Green, the website charlogreen.com, YouTube Charlo Green Live. Um, what is, like, where are you at in the process? Like, uh, when is your next court appearance? November 30th. November 30th. Is that when They've the... given me more time to find uh, a new attorney. So that's when we'll reconvene and see where I'm at in that process. And I'll like to get more time. So the case will probably start the next year. <clears throat> wow. Okay. That's something I would, I will be following that myself. I will encourage and just look for updates because you talk about this on your blog. So people can just go there and get updates and what have you, uh, where you're going. It's on the YouTube channel as well. So this is something I'll definitely be following mm-hmm. and encourage, uh, listeners to follow as well. What do you make? I'm sure there uh, are some folks who will say, well, Hey, uh, yes, we legalized cannabis in Alaska and that's what, uh, Miss Green is charged with. But she got ahead. She went ahead and did this before we actually set up rules to uh, to publicize how we want this to be done in the state of Alaska. That she got ahead of those rules, and so that's why she's being punished. What do you? What would your response be? Whatever punishment there is should fit the crime. If there are no victims here, <clears throat> then it. it doesn't make sense. Jail is a place for people that are a threat to society. It's not a place where you throw people that threaten your your stake in some business endeavor. The fact that our police are out here working to protect what is it? People's investments? Um, dollars and cents? They're out here acting as tax collectors, as bill collectors. Uh, I think that should be concerning to everyone. So that's what I would say to that. I'd say that's a really coarse occurrence, lack of liberty. 
context of white supremacy. Uh, may I ask how much your bail was? Um, I was never arrested. I was um, released, I guess, on my own recognizance. Oh, okay, okay. Um, do you have people, I know you at least have one person when your YouTube video, you talked about a friend of yours, uh, I believe a black male, where he was saying that he felt that this was uh, uh, retribution against you being kind of what I said before, this, you know, beautiful, smart black female quitting on air and just being uppity, uh, uppity black person. Do you, what do you make of people who say, hey, this is, this is retaliation for what you did? And say, you might be right. <laughs> you might be right, but um, I know at the end of the day, whatever is going to happen is what's meant to happen, and it's on me to make all of it matter. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, whatever happens, I'm not going to stop working toward change. If they want to make a martyr out of me. Then, then they can do that. But what I stand for, what me and many others are working toward, um, greater equality, uh, greater liberties, um, that's not going anywhere. So, that's what I have you had anyone uh, challenge you? Because uh, you describe this as a modern-day lynching. Have you had anyone, you know, confront you and say that is absurd for you to even make a comparison like that? <laughs> no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Just, I'm asking, I have heard other No, people. I will wish someone would try and explain to me how it's not. Like, seriously, really, you're... I decided to help people when no one else would. And I didn't just start the club after we legalized. Um, this happened <clears throat> months and months prior. The club is responsible for legalization. So for me to have stopped um, more than a year after we had already been in existence, already helped nearly a thousand people, asking me to turn my back on them because we legalized cannabis, that wasn't an option. That, that doesn't even make sense. Right on. Well said. Um, just, It's been my experience sometimes that uh, when black people in particular say that, you know, some some act of a black person being mistreated, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice saying that that is describing that as a lynching, lynching. I think even Clarence Thomas invoked that language when he was going through the congressional hearings way back when. Uh, but I've heard frequently people contest that and say, that's ridiculous. This is nothing like an Emmett Till, that sort of thing. But I thought you great job uh, giving the explanation. Um, just, I guess you also have talked about, at least in the video, you talked about how uh, you got so much attention when you left uh, KTVA, uh, but you did not get the same type of rally of support when news of your pending charges came out. Uh, has that changed at all? I know USA Today, they did a report on this, the Young Turks. I saw some other outlets. Has that changed at all? Yeah, of late? yeah absolutely. After The Guardian 
mm. get the story on me. Um, it was like going viral a second time. Um, I really appreciate the fact that so many people are outraged at what's happening to me. And the fact that they know it's not just me, it's happening to so many other people. I mean, imagine the fact that I'm so visible and I have the means to find an attorney. Um, like that usually isn't the case when it comes to people that are facing cannabis crimes. So it's happening. So it really sucks to be in the position that I'm in. But I know good can come of it. Um, so I appreciate the fact that the Guardian did the story, that um, it reached the right people, that they would continue sharing the story, yourself included. Um, I just got to keep sharing it. It's outrageous. And they're hoping to hide what's happening. They're hoping to hide the shame that they should carry. So for doing this to me, it's, disgusting so so that's what I'm going to continue working to do is sharing my story sharing what's happening to me um, which is what's happening to so many others um, and sharing how we can change that so what's up right on thank you for sharing it it's you know as I said I know a lot of listeners were familiar with what uh, with what happened to you um, there's one other uh, thing about just going back a little bit when they did these raided raids excuse me on your residence two different times did they do body searches of the people at your residence at the time they did um, the first raid they did they detained everyone illegally they did full on body searches um, forced everyone into photo um, lineups I guess you could call it. It was really, really weird. It was really invasive, and nowhere in the warrant did that allow it. Um, and how I know that there was something so off with it is because the second time none of that stuff happened. So um, all of that should be raised. If I had a decent attorney, then um, I'm sure that would be brought up if I get one then I'm sure that will be brought up we'll see wow uh, is it is it okay for me to ask just to kind of gauge the impact like how much you've had to spend in like legal fees and just any any funds that um, legal matters mm, around 20 grand wow wow and that yeah. was a hearing coming up later this year, and the tr- that's the trial is not even starting until you said likely 2017. No, yeah. So, Meg's with my last lawyer taking the money that she received to take my trial through its completion. Um, we're just saying that she spent it all and that she's not continuing on with my case. Wow, after five, the only one motion. So, that's um, Alaska, she's going to work for the state now. Wow. Was this a white woman? Yeah. Do you think that could have been an act of racism? Because if she, if she said she was going to 
do your whole case. She was going to take it through the trial. And then she doesn't do that. It just leaves after taking your money. Do you think that could have been an act of racism? I'm still trying to get to the bottom of it. Hmm. Wow. That is uh, economic terrorism. That is a term I've used on this program before. Uh, that would seem to be, a, and the time and energy, I guess, is, is it okay for, if, if you can process it somehow? Like how much time and energy, aside from the financial aspect, have you had to expend? More than a year. More than a year. Wow. Yeah. Many, do you remember how many different court like dates or police things you've had to do in association with this? Um, maybe a little over a half dozen, wow. around 10 different court dates. Um, yeah, and then more than a year wow. of all of this stuff. So it's really not great. That sort of consuming resources and time and energy of black people, that's something that I've noted, that standard practice in the system of white supremacy, like just finding ways of taking our time so that we can't be doing what we want uh, in our lives and our existence and then mm-hmm. taking resources, which has the same impact, just whittling away so you can't do uh, things that you really want to focus your time and energy on. Um, right. With, uh, and I guess people can, if they want to support your legal fund and what have you, they can go to the website, charlotgreen.com. Is that correct? Oh. Hello? Oh, yeah. I said if people want to support your legal fund, they can go to the website, charlotgreen.com. Yeah, you can head to charlotgreen.com. Um, there's a link right there on the homepage. Um, but I'm all about creating um, just new more forward ways to advocate. And so one of the things that I found to be like a big stress reliever is writing and recording music. So um, leading up to my actual trial, um, I travel a ton. So I'm just going to be like focusing on traveling and touring and doing music. So that's a way to do that, just connecting with the people that are supporting me. Um, so I'll be releasing a couple of tracks at the end of this week awesome. and a few videos in the coming weeks. And they talk a lot about what's happening with my case. It's conscious. It's good stuff. I think you'd like it. We will be looking end of the week and over the next few weeks uh, for the videos. I think that's awesome, uh, finding some outlets, because I know it is... I can just imagine the amount of stress in dealing uh, with all of this. I'm glad you found some uh, creative uh, outlets uh, to uh, replenish yourself. Um, Can you tell our listeners about the Minority Cannabis Business Association? Yeah, the Minority Cannabis Business Association is um, a great organization. It's a nonprofit. um, And what they're really working to do is empower communities of color. Um, with cannabis, um, the opportunities economically that cannabis presents. So um, the board members are doctors and business owners and advocates, and it's a really impressive group of people. And um, you can head to minoritycannabis.org to find out more information about that. Um, The next events that are coming up, and when they'll be in your city and how you can get involved. 
brand, minoritycannabis.org, uh, the website. And uh, it's making sure also, does, do they do uh, just making sure that non-white people are aware of business opportunities, changes in the market, uh, so that they have this information so that they can, you know, it seems like this is going to be, you know, lots and lots of money being made uh, as legalization proceeds. Uh, is that one of the functions of the group as well? Absolutely. Um, but they take it a step further and um, put, like, action um, along with it. So in addition to educating people about the opportunities, they also are working on organizing job fairs and bringing in um, employment recruiters. They're um, also having different things like expungement clinics in Oregon a couple months back. The first one was held. And what they did, now that Oregon is legalized cannabis, one of the laws states that people can have uh, cannabis crimes taken off their records, which opens a lot of people up to employment opportunities. So they teamed up with Natural and held an expungement clinic, and we were able to get um, more than 50 people um, take care of the 50 people's records, um, getting those crimes taken off of them. So that's what the organization is, is about education and action. That is pretty, uh, that is pretty awesome. Like, uh, there was a report that I played on the program earlier this year and it talked about how there's so much money being made from all this and black people specifically, uh, are being excluded. Uh, Amanda Lewis, uh, she wrote the report and they said that right now, uh, that there are, they were looking at the dispensaries, uh, nationally. And they said that it's about 1% of the dispensaries and they're over, I think, 3,500 of them nationally, uh, that about 1% of that is owned by black people. And she was talking, just yeah. looking at the laws that are in place in the areas that have allowed for these dispensaries, uh, that they have put a lot of laws in place that exclude black people from being able to be involved in this industry and make right. money. Um, does the group also address like ways of like addressing that and, and neutralizing that? Uh, the group doesn't currently do that. That's more of what my organization was oh, okay. doing, is going out and um, reaching out to these communities and working on the justice aspect first and foremost. Um, as, as great as the economic opportunities might be, you can't access them if everyone is in prison over weed. Um, so, so addressing that is um, one of the the biggest things um, people are getting cut out of the industry that's by design um, after they've already been put through the system um, again by design so so it's up to us in these communities to demand the change that needs to happen with that it's not going to be some outside force that's going to sweep in and, and save um save the opportunities to to rectify the, the wrong that's um, plagued our communities for decades. It's going to have to come from us. So reaching out and educating people about what's happening, 
how we are being cut out of this, um, how there are other ways um, to get into the industry, starting ancillary businesses, even when the laws are written um, that aren't in our favor as far as participation is concerned. And then just standing up and deciding enough is enough, voting no until they get it right. Um, I think that's, that's what needs to happen. Don't legalize it. If the law is cutting you out of the future of, of the industry, just say no. They're, they're, they're cutting you out, and you have to say that's okay to happen. If it's not right, don't support it. There will always be next year and the year after and the year after to try. But if we're talking about the adult use of marijuana or um, that would still mean that anyone possessing more than an ounce of cannabis could go to jail for six months, um, that there is still cultivation limits that would send people that have been growing um, privately to jail now. Um, I don't know how that's legalization. I, I just don't think that's what we should be settling for when we have the opportunity to fix so much. So it's on voters to look out for that. Hmm. I know that situation happened in uh, Ohio this year uh, where they had legalization on the ballot and they voted it down because exactly what you're talking about, uh, limiting access uh, for people to participate, it was very uh, centralized, as I understand it, the way that that legislation was written for Ohio. Uh, are you familiar with the le- – I know you are resident in Alaska, but are you familiar with how the bill is written for California that's going to be on the ballot this November? Yes, I've read it a couple of times. Okay. What do you think of, of that, how that one is written? Is that one that you would support? No, it's garbage. Wow. What's What are the uh, problems that you see? Um, well, like I stated, uh, jail time is still um, not just a real possibility, but that's what it's going to be six months still for cannabis possession over an ounce, um, an ounce isn't that much weed, at least to me and many, many, many people I know, especially patients. Um, so that's a big one. Um, another one is the fact that is it 20% of tax revenues are going to police. Um, I, I don't see why if we're no longer making cannabis like a criminal thing, if we're legalizing it, we would be cutting the police a massive check every year to go and buy new toys and and weapons to go and enforce when communities that have been harmed most by prohibition are getting $10 million a year, and that's not each. That's the spread across the entire state of California. Um, and I think that's capped at $50 million. So that stops after five years while police will be getting, what's 20% of a $10 billion industry? Is that hmm. about $2 billion? Um, so what's... it would be the tax on that $2 billion. So that's hundreds of millions of dollars every year. 
and then our communities literally get peanuts. Like, what the, what does that say? I had to stop myself from swearing there. <laughs> but what, like, what, I, I don't see how um, them dangling weed in our faces and saying, hey, we'll, we'll ease up a little. And no, in fact, they won't because it'll make smoking in your car completely illegal. So whenever they pull you over and it smells a little bit like weed, that's not just probable cause. It's you just committed a crime and they're investigating it. So don't expect that stuff to go away. Um, it just, it's lose, lose, lose all across the board. There are so many holes in it. When you look at what's happened in Washington State post-legalization, when you look at how people of color are still being prosecuted disproportionately in places that have legalized, and then you look at the legislation that's being proposed in California, it's, it's clear justice is the last concern. And it's also clear that someone's been compromising of what our communities are supposed to get that is not from our communities. Someone else is, is giving away um, the justice we're supposed to get along with legalization and bartering that off for, I, I don't know, but bigger pensions for, for police that are murdering us. I don't understand it, but... I think we've got to get to the point where we mm. with in with the California legislation specifically is the expungement expungement aspect there uh, for people who have been convicted of cannabis related crimes can go back and you know have their uh, convictions and what have you reassessed or expunged from their record completely is that component in the California legislation no okay that just everything that you just shared Miss Green that's why I said her website it has so much information I was so impressed uh, going through your site but just what you shared right there that is the those are the exact concerns that I have that I guess if I was going to just summarize that even the big push that I hear when people talk about legalization is that the war on drugs has been racist and black people have suffered, which I totally agree. And they said, if we legalize Mm -hmm. cannabis, then that will, you know, begin to mend these wrongs. And I just, I'm like, I do not believe that at all. Like I live in Washington state. (laughs) I'm just like nothing about what I'm seeing looks like it's making a dent at all. Uh, in Mm-mm. anything that is being talked about in terms of this is going to somehow mitigate racism or at least racism in terms of enforcement of drug laws. And I, just, mm-hmm. I find that to be laughable. And I, I mean, brilliant explanation for those concerns. And I just, in my view, it's not surprising that that's the way things would be written so that not only do we not benefit from a justice perspective in terms of, oh, okay, I'm not a criminal anymore and I get my voting rights back and, or if I'm in confinement, I get released or whatever that would mean. And we're being closed out of making all of these millions and millions of dollars. It's just like, yeah, this is not, it's a commercialization initiative. It's a, all right, these group of people that we select now get to do this, but everyone else continues going to jail. That's that's what all of the laws that are being passed now look like. I think the one in California is going to pass. Do you do you think that the way it's written now, I think it's going to pass? Do you think it's going to pass? Um, it has a lot of money behind it. 
Um, what's funny is 90% of cannabis activists agree it's one of the worst ever, but they know that there's money behind it. So everyone's just kind of falling in line. It's like Donald Trump, Hillary, Prop 64, you choose. Hmm. Do you have a, yeah. a, do you have a concern about, uh, like bigger conglomerates? I know in California, they've talked about a lot. They have a lot of small market, uh, growers and now you're going to have more larger, uh, mass marketing that that might drive out some of the smaller markets. Do you have a concern about that as well? Or? Um, my concern is the fact that there are people in communities that have relied on um, cannabis and commerce, um, and we'll call it the free market, um, for years and years. And after legalization, at the behest of these new business owners, um, police will go and, and work to enforce um, whatever laws there are on the books um, and the penalties are going to be as maxed out as possible. It'll look a lot like what's happening with me. Um, that's, that's it. That's my concern is the people that rely on it and have been for years and years and years are suddenly going to find themselves um, like new criminals, um, new targets. So, so that's that. Um, there should be some sort of craft license, something that would allow everyone to participate if, if lawmakers, legislators were serious about ending the drug war and taking it out of criminals' hands. Then they'd be serious about providing a way for people to participate that's that's not it. Mm. One of our listeners mentioned that a few weeks ago. He's heard my commentary about, you know, I think racism will still be practiced in a variety of ways, uh, even if they legalize uh, cannabis. This is that they're just not being truthful with a lot of this. And he said, you, uh, you're you leaving out, you know, black people who are selling right now in what they call the black market, how they will be excluded and lose a source of income. And uh, I only thought, at least in my experience, that a lot of the people that are selling cannabis, like that's not like top tier money in my experience. Like a lot of people uh, end up selling just to support their habit or maybe they make a little bit, but it's not like mega, mega profits. Um, Do you have a a different assessment? Yeah, um, there are plenty of families. There are generational families, especially in places like California, that rely on cannabis and have um, generation after generation. So, so yeah, and while it might not be a lot of money to you, I have a few hundred dollars to someone that doesn't have it is quite a bit. So to still lose that means of income would be devastating to some. So it would also be that much more devastating if they lost that means of income and then were criminalized after voting to legalize this substance. Hmm. Uh, $100 is certainly significant to Gus, for sure. <laughs> Should I get that underlined? <laughs> and uh, absolute well said. 
well said, point well taken, because I think that has been a part of the rhetoric as well, that we need to be serious. The When I've heard, like, people in Congress or wherever speaking about this, they've been pretty uniform in saying, oh, yeah, we got to be tough on the black market. If we're going to do this, we're going to allow this. Like, we can't have, you know, the black market still raging uh, while we've legalized. Like, I've heard that pretty uniformly. I suspect that's yeah. going to they're saying that, and so the police have been conducting raids across Colorado, especially in places like Colorado Springs. Um, then they'll publish these stories about how there's this huge marijuana bust and how they they found dozens of plants in this black market operation. Um, what they're doing is they're passing these local um, ordinances that say, regardless of whether you're a medical patient, that has a doctor that has said for years that you need 72 plants because you're extracting the cannabis oil from it to treat. We're limiting every single house to six plants, regardless of how many people you're a caregiver for. Um, so these are patients. These are like sick parents. Uh, these are parents of sick kids. Um, and, they're being arrested and losing custody of their children and having their names dragged through the mud um, because what they passed wasn't about justice. It's, it was a commercialization initiative. And and anyone that gets between the potential to, to profit most from that dollar is literally finding themselves at the other end of a gun paid for with their own tax dollars. Context of white supremacy, Charlotte Green. Uh, did you have, uh, is it possible to take a few questions? We had callers dialed in, uh, wanted to ask a question or two. Is that okay? Sure. Let's see. Uh, Thomas in New York, who brought up the economic impact uh, of legalizing cannabis and then people that are in the quote-unquote black market being shut out. Uh, well done, sir. Thomas in New York, did you have a question for Charlotte Green? Yes, I did, Gus. And um, first I wanted to say uh, thank you for having the show. Miss Green, you became a hero when I saw you uh, walk off the news program that day. That was brilliant. I loved it. Um, um, my question is, well, first is, um, how much, what percentage of the people in this cannabis club are white? Hmm. I'd say eighty percent. Eighty. Probably wow. eighty. Yeah. Wow! Wow! And um, when you this this was, you I mean, when you started this, you knew it was illegal. So did you ever think that you know it's a possibility that um I would get caught doing this? Like most most people who sell drugs in the you know in the lower states, they know that it's consequences that come with doing it. Did you ever think of that? Um, well, I thought about that, which is why I opted not to create a private patient association, um, a place where members could come in, where medical marijuana cardholders could come in and exchange cannabis with other cardholders. What I'm being charged with is creating that space. Um, so did I think I would face a lifetime in jail for creating a space, a legal space for patients and 
consenting adults to come together and um, take care of each other's needs. No, I didn't think that was a possibility. Um, but here we are. Okay. And uh, my last question is, do you have any regrets? Because essentially, you know, I mean, I, I like your idea. Um, and, and I don't think you deserve 54. I mean, any time in jail. I mean, but um, do, you, do you have any regrets? Um, essentially, doing this for uh, 80% white people uh, who practice racism against black people all the time. Do you have any regrets that this is what you what you could be facing doing this for white people? And I'm in my uh, I don't, well, I don't know where, that it would be regretting doing it for white people, um, more so doing it for people that aren't willing to stand beside me in my time of need. That that's that's regrettable that I invested a lot of energy in thousands of people when only one person showed up to my court hearing. Um, I wish I would have invested it. Um, I in somewhere that was more of um, a community that would have embraced me um, instead of me having to work against the grain. It felt like constantly. Huh. Well, one question, Gus. Would they, do you think they would have abandoned you if you were white? No, absolutely not. Mm. Just a more subtle form of calling you a nigger, in my opinion. Uh, the caller, thank you, Thomas, in New York. Uh, the caller at two seven five five two seven five five. Did you have a question for Miss Green? Caller, last four digits two seven five five two seven five five. Are you with us? We are not here. I don't know if you hit your mute button or. Do you have a question, or are you just hello listening? there? Greetings. Oh, this is Miss. This is Miss Mezga. Oh, greetings. Good to hear from you. Greetings. Uh, I, I appreciate and I'm loving the show tonight. Um, I think that's very unfortunate what, what was just said about the people of the collective that are not helping you. Um, that was going to be my next question. What, are, what do you... Um, well, you, <laughs> you said the white people aren't helping you. What would you think they wouldn't be doing for you if you were a white person? Um, I don't think I ever would have been raided in such a violent manner twice. I, I think I would have been called in for like a meeting conversation, actually, like a human being, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to being treated like some thug that must be armed to the T, so let's send 12 officers in with massive guns, um, all masked. It's, it's just absurd. I don't think we. I'd be in this situation if I was white. Yeah, I think you would probably just have a fine and they would be on their merry way. Um, my or, next or, question. or I'd just be like a celebrated hero and I would have gotten some plaque and they would have used how I modeled the club to to draft new regulations and set the standard. Um, that's 
that's probably what would have happened is it would be okay. a complete 360, I think. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one more question, if I could. Um, this goes back to when you were working at the, uh, at the news station. Or fear of your job because you were a smoker? Or did you have to take a, a urine analysis? How did that work? Um, no, I never had to take a urine test in Alaska. If you don't take a test before you're employed, they can't legally test you during the course of your employment unless you have, like, an accident on the job. So um, I knew I was never at risk for that. And at the onset of the job, if I needed clean urine, I could find it. Any smoker <laughs> usually has that covered, and so did I. So it was a non-issue. Really, um, hmm. just keeping my my cannabis life separate from my news anchor life, with me working like seventy hours a week doing that, and then leaving the secret weed lady after I would get off work. That was more tough balancing the two. Very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Out here, um, I I'm a uh, actually I. I uh, suffer from sickle cell, so I have been an avid smoker since I was 18. In fact, when I started smoking, I didn't know that I was doing it for medicinal purposes, but uh, I've learned a lot about cannabis since then. Uh, I was always in fear of my job. I, I was a dental assistant, and so I always had to do these bouts where I had to not use for a while, and then Sometimes the uh, place where I work, that all of a sudden the rules change and there are random UAs, and I'm in fear um, for my life. <laughs> um, so I think that's also maybe a uh, a thing that's keeping locking a lot of people out of employment, or at least out of the employment that they want to have. Um, that's uh, that's amazing that that's not an issue in Alaska, but. Uh, um, I thought I'd ask you about that, and I mute my line. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the person that dialed in, 2899. Call her at 2899. Did you have a question for Miss Green? Yes, yes, uh, Gus. This is Ramon. Uh, Springs, and, uh, I wanted to ask her, where did she hear that uh, groves were being busted in Colorado Springs? Uh, where did I hear it? I actually know a couple of women that are suing the city of Colorado Springs and the state because of it. Um, I do a lot of traveling, um, shooting for my vlog. So that's a story that I'm going to be sharing pretty soon. Um, but they share firsthand experiences of what this sort of thing is like. Are these black or white women? They're white women. Okay. Another question I wanted to ask you is you said only one person showed up. Do you mind if I ask you who that person was? Can you hear me? Um, um, I don't know if you would want me stating his name, but um, he was a Hispanic gentleman. 
Well, I, I'll ask a better way. Was it your, uh, my understanding, are, are, are you in a relationship and was it your, your, your fiancé or a boyfriend? No, he, he didn't show, I'm not in a relationship and I wasn't dating anyone at the time and my ex didn't show up. Okay. Um, and another question I had is, were you the only owner of that, that facility? The sole owner? No, not technically. Um, well, ma'am, here, here I'll say it better. Mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely not trying to get you to say something and incriminate yourself. I've been through your situation five times over. So basically I'm just trying to see if I can get some clarity and maybe even offer some, some helpful information from I've been through that scenario myself. Mm-hmm. So the reason I ask about, you know, if there was any uh, support from your family or boyfriend is because, you know, I'm not trying to disrespect your situation. It just appeared to me when I went and read your story and went on your went on your site about a week ago to read what was going on. It appeared a lot of your viewers or was attacking your relationship with the white man. Um, what about the relationship? Well, I would want to know, is he standing with you? Is he supporting you through this? Is he offering financial no. as well as more? Huh? No, we broke up a long time ago. Okay. And I did want to share this as a means of saying that. Um, I don't know where those cases took place at here in Colorado Springs. I will say this. I, I, I'm a former friend of a grove. A uh, farmer here in Colorado Springs. Matter of fact, he helped write those laws. Uh, I mean, helped write those proposals for the petition. And I can clearly tell you that he he had a felony for cocaine. And I asked him myself, how did you manage to become a legalized grower with your background? Um, Gus said it earlier about expunging, but the state of Colorado, it's on. You can only do that. You can expunge, but you, according to them, you can only get involved based on certain type of felonies. And he had a, mm-hmm. a possession with intent to distribute. So I, I just wanted to encourage you that, you know, that, that game is, is definitely not set up for us. I've seen too many incidents since it's been legalized that shows me that everything Gus has said to you, it is just a higher form of, of, of white supremacy being practiced. And too many people here are starting to try to grow within their homes. The law says you can have 12 plants, six in bloom and six not. But, there, I mean, those people are doing a lot of that. So I think some of what you're hearing is illegal grows, not that I'm defending them. So I think some of that is what you're hearing. But I just wanted to give you encouragement and tell you, you know, being there before, I, I faced the 5 to 99 in the state of Texas. And I just want to tell you is the best thing you can do is really, really just stay on top of your attorney and and see everything in your discovery to help you out. And I'll mute my line, Gus. Thank you, sir. Uh, the, the person who called at 5234, 5234, did you have a question for Ms. Green? Uh, greetings to Gus and greetings uh, to you, Mrs. Uh, Charlotte, is it? 
Charlotte Green. Yeah. So Charlotte Green. Sorry, Mrs. Green. I do apologize for that. Um, yes, I did have a couple of questions for you. Um, the first one was, do you think that uh, part of the legalization process in these states is um, the part of the creation of this is to lure black people um, into the marijuana trade in order to set them up similar to how it seems like you've been set up in this situation? Because it seems to me like I don't really, I've never seen, I've watched documentaries about uh, about uh, cannabis legalization, and I've yet to see a black person that's directly involved as far as owning. Um, and I've seen a lot of news about different black people who did get involved, and they all got in trouble with the law. So I just wondered if you felt that, um, you know, part of the process of this legalization is to attract black people that they can then arrest and, and basically terrorize using the legal system. Um, yeah, I, I would say that might not be too far off from what's actually happening. Okay, thank you. Um, my next question was um, to piggyback off of uh, Thomas in New York. Um, do you feel that the white people that you were helping um, were practicing a refined form of racism, white supremacy? Um, because I say that because simply the same white people that you were helping, you're, you're now fighting for your life. And those white people that you directly had a positive impact on their lives, they're now nowhere to be found. And you're left basically, you know, to whatever fate the system uh, throws at you. So do you think that all along they might have been practicing a highly reformed um, type of racism, white supremacy that maybe you did not perceive in that moment? And now that things have happened the way they are, you're seeing what, who they really are, in other words. To say they were practicing it would mean that it was um, conscious on their part. That is, I, I don't think that's the case. I think most people are ignorant to um, their um, what they perceive as superiority. Um, so. I don't know. I try to look at people and um, just give them the benefit of the doubt as much as possible. I like to believe in people as much as possible, even though that doesn't always work out too well. So um, I, I don't know why none of them showed up for me. I just know they weren't there. And again, it was just one person that did show up for me, a Hispanic guy. There are plenty of black club members. There are plenty of Asian club members. None of them were there. All right. Thank you. And my last question is, um, since uh, the previous caller did discuss the negativity and vitriol that you received as a result of your dating a white male, do you think that part of the reason that this, this situation was focused solely upon you, because you did say earlier that you're not the sole owner of this facility and this, uh, this, this facility, um, do you think that yeah. because you were dating a white man, that might have angered them to the point where they came specifically after you and did not really, you know, go after anyone else? Because I do know white people do get quite angry when uh, white people date out of, outside of their race. So do you think that could also be a part of the reason why you're experiencing what you're experiencing? And thank you, and I'll mute my line. And again, I wish you all the best. Um, I really, really do, and I'm going to try and stay on top of your situation. So I do wish you all the best, okay? Okay, I appreciate that. 
Um, do I think me dating him had anything to do with where I'm at now? Um, hmm. I've never really thought about that. I and the thought never really crossed my mind. I wouldn't put it past the situation, though. It's just so absurd. It feels so backward. So is that a possibility? Yes. Have I thought about it? Has that possibility ever hit me right in the face or been blatant? No. Appreciate the uh, question, Roz. Just, uh, I'm just trying to make sure I'm remembering correctly. When the question came up about the help that you did not get from all the folks who were members of the Alaska Cannabis Club, and uh, you said at the time it was about a thousand people, um, you did mm-hmm. say at the time it was about eighty percent white. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, just keeping in mind the proportions of, of membership in the group. Uh, the caller. Yeah. Oh, is this? Oh, I think we got everybody. I think we got everybody. I think this is just Thomas in New York. You didn't have another question, did you, uh, Thomas? Thomas? No, I had white people. I had white people interference. They dropped me, so I called back in. Oh, okay. But um, my question on the questions, my extra questions, and um, I once again touch. I wish you all the luck. I don't think you deserve a day in jail, but unfortunately, under the system of white supremacy. I, I, I just wish you all the luck. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Did uh, oh, that was Thomas in New York. Um, oh, he uh, was just expressing his gratitude. Uh, we did have one other person that dialed in with a question. Uh, Ken Steele. Ken Steele, did you have a question for Miss Green? Uh, yes, uh, Miss Green. It's uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Um, I, I thought it was very revealing um, listening to your answers to the original questions um, that Gus posed to you um, uh, earlier in the call. Um, I remember you mentioning uh, discussing your classification as black, and um, you mentioned that you are first-generation Nigerian-American. I, too, am first-generation uh, Nigerian-American. Um, quick question. Which tribe? Um, my parents are from Abuja, and they speak at A. We're not Igbo. Um, okay. Yeah, no, that's usually what people ask. Uh, but at A is what my mom said I should tell people when they ask that. with uh, Ibo, um, so that's very interesting. I also wanted to uh, ask you, um, did you see yourself as being somehow different um, uh, from black Americans uh, because you're first generation, and if so, how? I do. <laughs> I think I think a lot, well, I... I there aren't too many Africans up here. Um, but most that I've been in my adult life would agree. Um, it's just a different, I don't know if it's just the generations of having to deal with like the bullshit that I'm being put through now. Um, like this stuff wears on you. 
um, and the fact that this is uh, as good as it's ever been for black people um, in this country, um, I, I would have to think that that would wear on on the psyche of the generations that that are born into this. Um, so I, I I think that's probably the where the difference would come from. I just um, I don't know. I feel like I might look at things a little differently. I know what I'm willing to to stand and fight for. I know what I'm willing to die for. Um, you know, the situation that I'm in, it's unfortunate, but it's nothing that I can't bear, and I know the cause behind it. So, so I don't know. Um, I don't know if that makes me different because I'm African or just because I'm me. Okay, you know, um, I think it's really interesting, um, and I think you might find this interesting about me. I, too, uh, have been in a marijuana-related um, no-knock raid, and mm-hmm. I remember my particular situation happened while I was at uh, while I was attending uh, Michigan State University. Um, this was um, Michigan, and this is, uh, East Lansing is the, uh, city that is between Okemos and Lansing proper, and it's kind of a, um, uh, Lansing, the whole area has a history of being a sundown town, which I later found out, and, um, I was, I was in a house that, uh, had, that had been convinced by an MSU law student at the time. Uh, to accept a package of marijuana uh, containing 1.6 pounds. And this is what I found out afterwards. Um, And I had no involvement in any of this. I just happened to be in the apartment at the time. And um, I do remember during the raid, um, the guns that they had were, I I believe uh, they had uh, submachine guns, MP5s, if I do recall correctly, and um, they had an M4 as well. These guys were not dressed in full tactical gear. They were actually dressed as, uh, I guess, um, kind of hippie-ish. There may have been a joke or something like that. I don't know what they were doing. But um, that was the gear that they were using. Uh, When they started questioning us, uh, I, myself, I turned on my Nigerian accent extra thick. to kind of, uh, I guess, differentiate myself from the other gentlemen that were located inside the house. And my reasoning being is that I've been told by a number of uh, people who classify themselves as white that they view uh, Nigerians or Africans somewhat differently than they view, um, I guess, black Americans. And, um, you know, this is just something that kind of was a little bit automatic for me in that instance. I thought about it kind of, but I, I just started doing it. And it and it did work for me in that instance. I was allowed to um, go home, um, and I was not implicated in any of the wrongdoing. And this was after they had contacted my probation officer um, at the time. I, I My college years were kind of uh, – were kind of – I was – 
right in those days, and I found myself in a lot of trouble. As I'm, I'm thinking that you may have found yourself in similar, in a similar situation. My question for you is, how come after the first raid you didn't stop? Because raids were the raid that I was in was extremely terrifying. I mean, this was life and death in your face. Uh, they had Call of Duty esque weapons, and um, that caused me to even I, I I fled the state for a number of months following that incident. How come you chose to um, stand your ground? Because I know I'm not doing anything wrong. If I was doing anything wrong, they would have arrested me. Um, the, this place was created as a service um, beyond expanding membership to recreational users after we legalized. Um, the first thousand members or so, um, the raid only happened like four days after we opened membership up to um, adult consumers um, and not just patients. So everyone that counted on the club most of them were literally in life and death situations, and we were the only resource for me to shut down. Um, that would be inhuman. That would be wrong. That's why, mm -hmm. because it—I mean, it—it it was terrifying. Um, but but I wasn't that scared. I. I'd be way more scared on Judgment Day um, when I'm faced with blood on my hand from the patients that needed me, um, me turning my oh. back on them be because of some imaginary law, because of paperwork that had yet to be filled out, that had yet to be created. That's, it's absurd. Uh uh, hang question. tight, hang tight, Ken. We had one other caller that dialed in uh, who wanted to get a question okay. in as well. Uh, retired firefighter in Florida, retired firefighter in Florida, did you have a question for Ms. Green? Uh, no. Uh, related anything yet, because uh, I just literally got on, on the line. I, I, I watched I, well, not watched, but I read the briefing uh, on the uh, the young lady. Uh, she was a journalist, and she resigned to uh, go into uh, the sale of marijuana. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, and in turn, uh, uh, somehow she got... Uh, uh, pounced upon by the uh, white supremacists, and uh, and they are threatening to uh, send her to prison for a long period of time. Correct. Uh, well, that's that's the global system of racism and white supremacy. I, I don't have a question right now, but uh, hopefully, uh, I, I'm I'm pretty sure she hears me. Hopefully, she can uh, get out of that. I, I pray that she does. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, so I think we nabbed everyone. Ken, did you want to get in your last question, sir? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, just a, a follow-up to that last one. I didn't, um, to your last response, I didn't uh, um, anticipate you um, evoking this. You you mentioned Judgment Day. Um, are you, uh, uh, do you have any sort of uh, religious affiliation at all? 
no, I was raised a uh, Jehovah's Witness. Um, okay. But after I grew up, I stopped attending, um, practicing that. But I, I pray a lot. So okay. Uh, um, I, and then also, quick question: um, Your parents, throughout all of this, um, how have your parents reacted? Um, to both the incident uh, where you um, left your uh, employer at the news station um, to the um, to the charges that you're facing now. Um, I saw the the news. Um, it had gone viral. At that point, this was like a day later, and someone published their names in a post, and it reached them all the way in a village in Nigeria. Um, so she called me <laughs> and, uh, and started freaking out, and um, she came around about a week later after she um, just calmed down and looked at the situation for what it was, and that it's just, just trying to help people. Um, she's a registered nurse, so she understands there's medicinal value in that. And and so that was that. Um, it's breaking their hearts to have to watch me go through this. It It's really unfortunate what it's doing to everyone in my life. Oh, man. I, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, you know, uh, one other uh, last interesting tidbit that I see kind of some parallels. Is this a question? Is this a question? Oh, um, you know what? I'll hold this uh, comment for later. Uh, I'll mute my line. Thank you so much. For sure. For sure. We had a listener write in. Uh, He said, uh, knowing everything that you know now, if you had it all over, if you had it to do all over again, uh, would you have chosen to go this route in life as a new profession, or would you have chosen something else? <laughs> um, hmm. Well, nothing else would have caused me to step away from my career that I loved at that point. I love doing music now, um, and we'll see how responsive all of you guys are to that music. Um, but that's like my escape. That's what I want to do. Most of my have a lot of jobs. So the fact that I'm able to go and write and vent and record, that's, um, it's everything. So maybe I would be doing that instead, but like my, Um, my activism and everything I'm going through it led me to music, so I wouldn't have come to that conclusion without everything I've gone through. Hmm. Okay. Hope that answers your question, caller. Um, some quick quick questions I did want to ask just about uh, your cannabis consumption. Uh, like, at what at what age did you start to regularly consume? Around 21. 21. Okay. And. Do you consume every day? Yes. Many times a day. Many times. Okay. <laughs> what, uh, 
Like, if you give us an average, like, what's what's your average rate of consumption per day, like in grams? Hmm. Maybe, maybe an eighth, 3.5 grams, 4 grams, maybe 2 grams. I like smoking backwards, and it takes a lot of weed to fill them. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have to monitor my consumption. I just, like, always have weed. I always get free weed from people, which is always really great. Um, but, but, yeah, it's probably like an eighth, a little over an eighth a day. Wow. Okay. Okay. And do you, you consume every day? I do. Every day. Okay. Um, when Do you remember the last time that you did not consume for, like, a 24-hour period or longer? Um, I think I took a tolerance break sometime earlier this year. Um, yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Appreciate the honesty. Um, do you, in your experience, the, the time you're 28 now, is that correct? I am. Okay. So you've been smoking regularly for seven years ish something in the ballpark of seven years yeah okay do you think that the cannabis substance do you think consuming it is has some addictive properties so anyone that uses cannabis as an excuse as to why um, they aren't taking care of their responsibilities is doing just that, using it as an excuse, but that has nothing to do with this substance that is changing lives for the better every single day. Hmm. Do you think with some people that that, I'll put it this way, do you think that for a significant number of people who consume cannabis that there might be an issue with them being addicted to the substance, like they will really want to consume and that sort of thing? Do you think for a significant number of people that could be a problem? Um, well, if we're going to be real about this situation, what we can easily do is look at the science that's been conducted and cannabis has been found to be less addictive than coffee. So I'm not any more concerned about their coffee consumption than I or anyone else should be about their cannabis consumption. Hmm. Well, I live, I live uh, in Washington State, uh, right where the Starbucks uh, was founded. So there's a lot of coffee. I don't know with that. And I, I do encourage our listeners to pay attention to metaphors. Uh, very important. Um, at least I get the impression that a lot of coffee is consumed like worldwide on a daily basis. Um, that might be something to be concerned about. One of the other aspects that I have raised um, with non-white people, in addition to just the phenomenal information you shared earlier about how in a lot of these states where they have legalized the laws or the way it's been done perpetuates racism in a variety of ways, excluding black people from the market, cannabis market, uh, and not correcting uh, the war on drugs terrorism that has been committed against black people in the form of incarceration and what have you. 
I think also it is a concern in a system dominated by white supremacy. I say every program, sobriety would be best, uh, alcohol, cigarettes, whatever, just because war is being waged against us all the time and we really have to take that seriously and I just think it would be best to function uh, sober as much as possible and I also think that cannabis can, for some people, uh, it can have some addictive qualities to it. Does that make logical sense or does that not seem reasonable to you? Have the addictive qualities. Um, The habit, anything, any habit can become addictive. Um, does it make sense to not go somewhere where you know there might be trouble? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but should people, um, especially the ones that are self, I mean, cannabis is being used to treat PTSD for our soldiers across the nation and beyond. Um, but even in our own communities, especially in our communities, there are people dealing with PTSD. And while African-Americans may not um, be as proactive um, when it comes to addressing uh, psychological health or mental health, smoking cannabis is something that treats um, PTSD, um, the trauma that comes with living through a raid or witnessing um, the loss of someone that you care about. street violence, gun violence, all of that stuff, it leaves a mark. And while a lot of people think they might just like to smoke, many people are self-medicating. Should they have to lose that bit of comfort living (laughs) here in America um, in 2016? I don't think we should have to, but... If it means that or loss of life or liberty, then then it's it's a decision that each of us has to make ourselves. Um, but that is kind of what it is right now. If you pick up the cannabis plant and you are a person of color, then you definitely are risking your freedom and your future. That's just a fact. It doesn't matter if you're living in a state that's legalized or not. Hmm. Uh, Well, let let me say this and just get your response if it's it's reasonable. In a system of white supremacy, um, non-white people, I would assert, especially black people, because we're being constantly injured, constantly subjected to all types of violence, um, we're often in a state of self-medicating and dealing with those traumas. Uh, Do you think it's reasonable to have concerns, uh, almost like alcohol, a lot of non-white people, a lot of black people consume alcohol as a form of self-medicating from the traumas of racism, Uh, and a lot of people have raised concerns about the availability of alcohol concentrated in areas with a lot of black people, that that could happen with cannabis as well, that racists know we are suffering and are going to be looking to self-medicate that it could be black people just end up being heavily promoted with the use of cannabis. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Um, But you also have to consider the fact that no one has ever died from cannabis consumption. Um, No one has ever driven high and killed like they would after consuming alcohol. Um, Cannabis only ever heals. 
uh, causes no harm on the body, not not even with combustion and smoking. So uh, I don't think it's fair to consider the two. It's like saying, well, there are all these pharmacies. Should we con- be concerned about something that's only going to bring good to our communities um, because there's another substance um, that people that's dangerous, that's very dangerous, that people might not be able to have a handle on. No, I, I don't think we should limit penicillin. I, I don't think we should um, limit people's ability to get access to what we know is a life-saving substance, only a life-saving substance, period. That's, that's what it is. Hmm. Do you have a code? for uh, how you consume cannabis? When I say like a code, like um, I, I saw the video, right, when you were talking about when you got uh, denied, turned back, trying to cross into Canada uh, because uh, they, I guess, found some residue in your, I think, on a sock or in your in your purse. Uh, and you said from now on, if you are going across the border, what have you, you would get a brand new purse to make sure that there's no residue so that that's not a problem. Like, so do you have a code about things that you do, things that you don't do? places you consume, places you don't do, uh, don't consume? Do you have a code with your cannabis consumption? Um, sorry, the phone cut off during that last, last bit. A, a code about your cannabis consumption. Do you have a code about it? Um, no, I'm, I really don't. I just kind of do whatever I want. I don't really try and put anything I do into any kind of box. I don't believe in superstition. I don't have a bunch of weird rituals for anything. I love smoking great weed, so I do just about whenever I feel like it. And this is with me waking up at 4 or 5 every morning, running a couple of miles daily, um, and running all of my companies and still being able to create as an artist while fighting for my life in this case. So, so yeah. Hmm. Like, do you consume outside or in your vehicle? I consume literally wherever I see <laughs> Right on. Right on. Just trying to, to make sure I understood. Got it. Got it. Um, the caller at... Uh, at two eight nine nine two eight nine nine, did you have a question for Miss Green? We'll take this one. Hey, and what's we'll up, Gus? Oh, yes, ma'am. No problem. No problem. Hey, hey Gus. Before she got away, I, I just wanted to actually ask a couple of things here. Uh, did you, this, did you get the definition of racism, white supremacy from Gus at the beginning of the show? Because I missed the first thirty seconds. I mean, thirty minutes. I did. Okay, how did you feel about it? I, I wasn't. I didn't get a chance to hear your your answer to it or your response. I think I said that it sounded um, fair. A group of people trying to um, oppress others based on nothing more than the color of their skin. Yeah, that's okay. that's fair. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do will you continue to do business with white people after this? Meaning directly, meaning in your actual circle, will they be? Will you continue? In a, um, yeah, absolutely. I 
didn't do what I did because I was expecting anything back. I did it because it was the right thing. So regardless of whether anyone shows up for me or, or not, I know I'm doing the right thing and I'm going to help people regardless of the color of their skin, um, regardless of, of whatever might make me and that person different from each other. I, I know cannabis can help people and if I can connect them to that, then, then that's, that's God's work. Well, I guess what I'm saying is because your answer sounded more like, you know, they could be buyers of your product, but I'm asking, can they have a direct footing in your, uh, your company or your business structure to be as someone that would be on the paper or someone who would be in charge or someone with some type of delegation that should be looked at in the same manner you would be looked at would they have that role in your company in the future? Um, would I hire? Is that what you're asking? No. Will they have a direct position of control, decision-making, or some form of delegation for authority in your roles of, I mean, in your, your company's next venture? Will you place white people in those positions of decision? To function in your company? Um, well, I I know I won't base it on just color, the, the last people that I had in um, different roles or the only people that have ever done me wrong directly um, in my company have been people of color. So I won't base um, my hiring decisions on that. Otherwise, I wouldn't hire anyone black based on what I've been through. And my last question is very simple. Do you have right now, because you're on bond, am I correct? Sorry, the phone cut off a little. What was that? Do you have any bond stipulations, meaning do, do they have requirements for you not to smoke or drink while you're going through your case on bond? No, I'm I'm fine to smoke and um, drink. That's, that's I'm, not a thing. I want to share this um, with you since you answered that. I'm sorry for cutting you off because I'm, I'm going to get off after this. I'll just share this. As, when I was going through that, it was told in moderation is the word that they use. But I would encourage you to at least give Gus's advice on sober while you're doing this case. Because they've been known to do this to many people in drug cases. They'll take a UA when you get ready to go to your PSI, your pre-sentencing investigation. That right there will have a heavy burden on your sentencing or what they consider to do to you. And I'll mute my line. Thank you. I appreciate that. Before we let you go, I guess to, if I could just get a, ask that question, has, has that been addressed in like, Colorado, Washington State, other places where they've legalized, if you are convicted or you're out on bond or that sort of thing, where they have stipulations in where you can't consume cannabis in a state where it's legalized, does that get changed? Or? No, the, the stipulations are still on the books. Um, there are places that are taking steps um, toward that. I can't remember where it was, but I believe the prisoners um, may have been granted the right to consume medicinally 
um, upon release, but I'll have to double check that. I know in other places um, like DC, they're getting cannabis removed from the list of substances you're allowed to test for as an employer. So that is progress, and that's happening in a place um, with a huge, huge um, minority population. And so, like I said again, it's the communities that have to stand up and demand more. Now is the time for change. It's just we have to take initiative and make that change and put that work in. But because they're doing that in D.C., they're seeing the change that they want to see. The website, charlogreen.com, charlogreen.com, uh, her YouTube channel, Charlo Green Live. Um, hopefully we will have uh, the phone situation uh, corrected next time so it won't be uh, such a hassle for folks. But I definitely enjoyed uh, having you on the program this evening. And uh, if allowed, uh, it would be great to have you back on once you have uh, things have evolved a bit with your case uh, to kind of get an update on how things are going. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be following. So I will definitely uh, keep in touch. We'll be looking for the uh, new pieces coming out this week. You said new videos uh, coming out within the next few weeks. Charlogreen.com. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your time with us. And we will hopefully speak with you again soon on the program. All right. Sounds good. Have a great day, y'all. Thanks. You too. Good evening. Context of white supremacy. Charlotte Green. Uh, lovely Charlotte Green. One of our listeners uh, just texted that in as well. Uh, I would definitely encourage listeners uh, visit the website. She has a lot of information. Like she has a lot of different uh, guests with a lot of different types of uh, expertise. Some of the conversations are directly about racism. Uh, they had a summit in Colorado, I think it was earlier this year, uh, where they had uh, several different uh, people on the forum, including Miss Green, and they talked about um, a lot of uh, what she shared in terms of <clears throat> places where they are doing legalization and they don't include expungement or you still end up with a lot of black, Charlotte Green, you still end up with black people being arrested for all these cannabis offenses at way astronomically higher rates uh, than anybody else, whites or non-white, non-black people. Somehow they always got to find the niggers uh, to, you know, harass about this thing, how that sort of thing is still happening. Just a lot of different aspects of racism, but a lot of, uh, I mean, she does her homework. Uh, lots of kudos. I was very impressed uh, with, uh, with her website and the information uh, that's there. It's very thorough, very detailed. Uh, and even, even with the exchange at the end uh, where I asked about, you know, is it reasonable in an environment of white supremacy where black people especially are going to be traumatized like instantly, uh, where racists, because they are dedicated to practicing racism, we know the Negroes are feeling bad. We'll just stick lots of things in the environment so they can self-medicate, so you'll have lots of alcohol available, lots of cannabis available, or whatever else, television, other things that people use to uh, self-medicate as a result of white terrorism. Is that a reasonable concern? That's one, um, that is one I would definitely think about. You can kind of, you know, whatever conclusion you come to, uh, about that, in my view, I think that's certainly something to keep in mind, particularly if, you know, this is a habit-forming thing, like I'm going to have cravings uh, for this. Even if it was coffee, we can take this out because I think that was compared. Even if we were talking about coffee, in my opinion, if and I think for a lot of people, the caffeine in coffee is addictive, even that should be something that, you know, we think about. I very much subscribe to what Mr. Newey Fuller Jr., uh, said uh, we already have a lot of problems as victims of racism. Let's try to do everything we can to not 
increase our needs uh, because we already have a lot of needs that are not being met. So even if we were talking about coffee, if drinking, you know, coffee for the next week, now I'm going to need coffee or crave coffee every day for my, and, and have to buy coffee for my coworkers who I despise or be asked to buy coffee for my racist coworkers or colleagues or what have you, if that's what it's going to get me into, maybe I should rethink this. I think the same thing should apply. Alcohol, cigarettes, cannabis, anything that is going to make me increase my needs as a victim of racism. I think that's something that should be thought of. But you can put that on the back burner. Go back to the section where uh, Charlotte Green, where she talked about how the way the legalization is happening, it is just reinforcing another form of racism, white supremacy, where they can still go around and arrest, terrorize, assault black people, a la Charlotte Green and others. They can still just go around and do the same thing. That's what I've been saying the whole time. Like the whole premise of this just to me is very very faulty. I am not about the war on drugs. I am about the war of white supremacy that has been waged against black people. That's what needs to be stopped. Racists can stop the quote-unquote war on drugs and just continue terrorizing and assaulting niggers. And that's about the size of what I think is going to happen. Uh, I probably will reference, it'll just be Charlotte Green from now on when people talk about that. I just, I think it's total not, a lot of this would have to be premised for this to work. A lot of this would have to be premised on, are whites going to do the correct thing? I will not even say anything else. Now, uh, I also thought it was significant. Uh, we heard again today whites being classified as ignorant around racism. And I said that yesterday. This is not anything that's specific to any one person, any one victim. This is very widespread. The notion that either white people are stupid in general about everything and or whites are ignorant about racism. I contend that both of those are false. And that's why a lot of times, even though it wasn't stated today, to me at least it seems on some level it could be another where we drastically underestimate the nefarious capabilities of racist man, racist woman, racist child, the depths of their pathology. It seems that we consistently underestimate what they are doing to us, to our detriment, to our detriment. Just pointing that out again, consistent. I'll probably get more opportunities over the next 11 days that we'll have consecutive programs to point that out again as we go with whites and non-white guests coming up. Really enjoyed having Charlotte Green uh, on the program thanks to the listener who reminded me about her uh, situation um, with the, the update and everything. I saw when it you know went viral when she left her job back in 2014 and then the arrest and, and the charges and everything. Um, definitely uh, enjoyed having her on the program and I was serious about that. I will see if we can follow up uh, for the trial, I think she said 2017, when her uh, case goes to jury. Man, <laughs> knowing what I know about racism, white supremacy, I would be nervous. Uh, if I was in Anchorage and she said this is going to be a jury trial uh, and it's over 60% white uh, in Alaska, like I could easily see, uh, and particularly if the prosecuting attorney, if you know they're out, we're going to show this, you know, nigra and get on television and embarrass us. I could totally see them manipulating it where you end up having, you know, 10, 11, maybe even 12 uh, white people on the jury. And, you know, just, man, we will be following 
we will be following. If we're here 2017, whenever the uh, trial goes down, we will definitely follow, and I will follow up and see if we can get her back on the program to see how this. I would be nervous. I will definitely include her in my prayers. Uh, she is absolutely gorgeous and extremely well-informed, great information. I would not, and I do not think anybody should be going to jail, even given my views and what have you. But, man, I wish her the best, but I would be super nervous uh, facing a jury that is going to likely have a lot of individuals classified as white. Anywho, uh, we should be here tomorrow. Anthony Morgan, black male. He's an attorney. Uh, He focuses a lot on racism, white supremacy. We'll talk about this issue in Canada. They're also talking about uh, legalizing there. Uh, We'll also get his thoughts on a lot of the shootings that have taken place uh, in Canada. Black Lives Matter Toronto, how that has impacted the dialogue uh, on racism. His favorite film is Bamboozled. We'll bring that up as well. Some of his, uh, the other work that he's been involved in. Uh, But he'll be here tomorrow. Again, we're on every day until... A long time from now. (laughs) We'll be here every day, normal program time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for all uh, programs. Uh, Folks who dialed in, if you all have any uh, comments, great questions. We did have a little speechifying today, but a lot of folks had uh, other commentary, I guess, to to share. And I would get in again. Sobriety would be best. Uh, And I'm never saying that from a moral position of judgment. Uh, about anyone, any substances that you know we consume to self-medicate in response to all of the abuse that is heaped on us by the system of white supremacy is not from a position of morality at all. It is a total counter-racist business decision. The evidence shows that frequently a lot of non-white people end up having extra problems as a result of all of these different substances. I think very apparent. I do not believe that legalizing cannabis is going to stop those problems from happening as a result of whites practicing racism. Therefore, I think it would be best if we could make great decisions at all times and really, as I state, as I've been stating of late, have our behavior reflect our understanding that war is being waged against us. I just don't think most people, when you conceptualize a professional soldier I just don't think that your vision, your concept, your idea is of somebody who is intoxicated with a rifle and some fatigues on going out to do I just don't think that most people, that's what you think of when you think of professional soldier, that's what would make a big impact in my opinion, sobriety would be best and if you're going to consume you should have a code about consumption. I thought that was important as well in terms of, okay, I understand I'm doing this. I understand that this could make some problems for me. I'm going to be very meticulous about when I do this, where I do this, to minimize the likelihood of this creating problems for me. It's my conclusion that a lot of black people consume and do not have a code. If you are going to consume, you should at least have a counter-racist code to minimize the likelihood of having problems with this substance. And I could be talking totally crazy. I don't have a website anywhere near as cool as Miss Charlotte Green. Uh, then any of the folks who called in, did you all have uh, any commentary you wanted to share? Yes, can I be heard? <clears throat> yes, sir. I was just, I was just uh, as I was listening to the rest of the program, I was just... Uh, Thinking about uh, uh, the code, the code, and the four things that Mister Fuller says, 
that victims of racism or supremacy should think about. Uh, I know one of them was what what are you what are you doing? I think it's something goes something like that. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? I do know one of them is what is the constructive value of what you're doing? Am I correct? Constructive value of what you're doing. Correct. Yes, sir. Right. And, you know, and, and, and if, if you keep going over and over and over with those series of questions, uh, about, you know, you know, just about every, every, not just about, but everything that you, you are saying or doing, uh, it kind of like what, what, uh, uh, provide an excellent assistance in you, uh, uh, having having a a a a, a life to whereas you you would avoid a lot of problems that you otherwise would uh, be faced with. Now, I mean, nothing is perfect. Uh, it just the encounters with. Uh, enforcement officials, you still can get killed anyway, but you would lessen the, 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 uh, the, the percentage or the, 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 uh, chances of you, uh, getting yourself in the position that she's in right now, I think, uh, you know, and, uh, it's, it's still, I just ended with asking this question. What was her motivation? It seemed as though she was doing something that could be considered to be very constructive as a journalist. And for some reason she quit the job to sell marijuana. It's something missing there for me. I think she shared that uh, she was able to help other people that she did enjoy and value her journalism career. Uh, But she was able to provide cannabis for people who were suffering from a variety of ailments uh, and the cannabis helped them manage their symptoms and whatever health issues they were dealing with. So uh, she said her mom is a nurse. So kind of continuing that tradition of being a healer, that's what she was able to do. That's what she's been able to do with cannabis. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's something wrong with me, but it's still something that's kind of like missing because you can be a journalist and still help people and it you know people with problems i don't know it just sounds like something missing to me with that uh i did hear that she smokes she smokes on a daily basis is that correct yes sir Hmm. i'll have to i have to contemplate on on it you know that you know i I don't know maybe maybe if i go on a website i'll have a better understanding Charlogreen.com. Charlogreen.com. Yes, sir. Okay. There's <laughs> <laughs> something missing there. <laughs> Should have asked. You had your... <coughs> Thomas in New York. Yes, hey, sir. Ka- Thomas in New York. Proceed. Oh, thank you, sir. Um, I think what's missing is um, she got into a relationship with a white person. Um, and, um, Uh-oh. Yeah, I think that. You said a white a white man? Exactly, and I think... Oh, boy. There you go. Just based off of what she said, you know, somehow she, she's running a club with a thousand people. 800 of them at least are white. 
one person shows up in court and he was a Latino. Unbelievable. Uh, you know the power 800 white people have? I mean, just this wouldn't even be going to court right now. They all showed up. I mean, and then she would still do it again. Um, the having sex with white people will fry your brain for life. Okay, this is two straight shows. And it's like the people just don't have a grip of reality. Um, I don't really think she agreed with your definition because she was, uh, it's accurate, you know, but when she kind of came back with what she was saying, that wasn't what she said. Uh, I, I just think, man, that area eight activity plays such a role in her mindset. And um, she just doesn't see it. 800 white people. If, I mean, you know the power? 800 white people to end racism. If we get the white, right 800 white people, I mean, they could take over a country. I mean, 800 white people, that's so much power, and none of them show up to court to help you. And you're there exchanging weed for them, trying to help them get high. I get. I mean, unbelievable, man. I don't, it, it, you're not a hero when you're selling weed. In America, you're a drug dealer. <laughs> I mean, it's like, did you think of the consequences? Like, uh, every drug dealer I know, they know that um, the possibility that they might not be coming home when they go out with those drugs or whatever they're going to do. Regardless if they're just facilitating the, the house for the crack house, whatever, I mean, it, it, it's it's laws against that. It's it's unbelievable how her mindset is so warped. And she, when she asked if she would do it again, knowing what she knows now, she had to think. I mean, it should be absolutely no. Um, these people didn't show. And, you, and after they don't help, eight hundred don't show up. You get raided again. Like you still were helping them. Unbelievable. I, wow. I, I just don't get it. It's all racism, but she doesn't see it. Can, can I step in for a second, one thing, please? One thing I did want to say, um, I think the person who could have best answered that question yeah. exited the... Yes, sir. I think oh, the I'm person sorry, who sir. could have best answered that question uh, exited the program. So I'd uh, prefer if people are not answering, because all everyone can do at this point is speculate uh, and or guess uh, about you know what motivated... Um, I think she did share some about that uh, at the beginning part of the program. Uh, I am going to work to see if we can get her back. So folks will have an opportunity to ask there as opposed to guessing. I would also submit that uh, evaluating logic, it is possible that, or even before I get to that, I totally agree uh, that sexual intercourse with whites should not happen. It supports the system of white supremacy. And as I've said before, for years, it does turn the non-white person's mind to rot. Now, moving forward, with regards to her motivations, uh, she can best speak to that. Maybe it had something to do with her white boyfriend at the time. I think she did say they broke up. Maybe it did not. Uh, she could best, you know, answer that. And I think we would need more details to say definitively that's what it is. Just with her not being here, I think that would be accurate to include. Moving hey, forward, can yes, I sir. Can I chime well, in, sir? <clears throat> What's your I want to introduce myself. I, I have no no reason to be anonymous. My name is Ramon. I'm out of Colorado Springs, and I want that to be known. Um, I will say this: You ask her if she was if she's addicted, and and how long has she abstained? That was a question to ask her. Am I correct? I didn't ask her if she was addicted. I asked uh, if she thought it had addictive properties uh, to it. Okay. I did ask her, you know, how long she smoked. When was the last time she did not consume for a 24 hour period? Um, I think I asked her. If uh, if it had any addictive 
uh, properties personally. I think I did ask her something to that effect. Well, Gus, if you were asking me this question, that's why I chimed in on that one. Mm-hmm. I, I've been smoking since I was 21, uh, off and on, mainly because the restrictions of being on probation and stuff like that keeps you away regardless, if you want to stay free. So I'll say it that way. Um, I believe, coming from a, a drug dealer background and a drug dealing, I mean, a, a marijuana use, to answer that question for fire fire. Boys in for her, but I would say she's addicted to the money. And to say you smoke an eighth, uh, and I think she said a right. day. Okay, an eighth a day takes a lot of effort. Okay, Woo! I can tell you, I smoke damn near eighth a week. Right, but an eighth a day is a lot of effort. Okay, so if she doesn't know she's addicted, is how I'm going to respond to that then she needs to look into it. And there's no doubt that for someone to be on national TV saying fuck it to a job that is secure in her case, she had to be looking at the money. Um, and I'm just going to be honest. I think um, her lack of her former boyfriend there, I'm going to tell you why. I went on and looked at her site before you, I didn't even know you were having her on here. I started reading and I actually put a comment on her page I believe it, it, it is what it is. I think he, he, he just said, hey, look, you're alone on this one. He may not have said that verbally or vocally, but his action says that enough. Um, I, 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 here's another thing I have an issue with. Well, I don't have an issue. I'll say I think you did so well, and I, I, you probably got my email about Miss Marin yesterday. This young lady and Mrs. Marin sounds a lot alike, and – I can't understand how she couldn't answer your question or at least how she couldn't tie your definition about racism, white supremacy as a global thing being in Nigeria. I thought that was a, a act of denial in her own case. It doesn't hurt me. It just hurts her. And I, and I, that's my comment to that, sir. Uh, the people that we have not heard from at all who did not get to ask a question uh, the caller is seven seven two two seven seven two two. Did you have a uh, commentary? Yes, I did. Uh, I was there's a couple of things I noticed during the interview. I, I didn't have anything specifically for her. Uh, first, just the level of deception. I believe another caller uh, spoke about how 800 white people, or so many percent, I think 80 percent of the club, she said, was classified as white, and how they just kind of disappeared. I mean. The level of deception that has to can just can just supposedly they were there to support and to help her just disappear. Um, again, racist man, racist woman. The the deception is just on point, I, and and just how. Secondly, um, well, I guess two things. Secondly, just kind of how. It is a hunt for her. Uh, it's, it's obvious that these people are, are trying to, to, to get her. I'd heard about her case when they originally dropped, and I was just shocked at um, at how vicious this backlash is. It's so retaliatory to me how um, the white supremacists are coming after her. Um, my third comment was just I also was raised with a similar religious background, and to me, the uh, Ms. Green sounded the whole interview. Uh, well, I missed the first thirty minutes, but the the, the interview, which I, I mean, she sounded like she was terrified. I mean, just 
just at the at the brink, of course, which is is to be expected in a system of racism, white supremacy. Um, but with with that background and knowing how her family relations, I'm, I'm also uh, uh, my family's from that part of the world, West Africa. The damage that that can do to family relations and just a psychological havoc. I mean, I, I wouldn't imagine how she would feel, but the havoc that it'd be wrecking with her, I'm, I'm really concerned for her. And I, I do hope she gets through uh, her situation safely. I'll take my call offline. Right on. We have one other person I don't think got to participate at all. Uh, two, four, five, six. I did want to make sure I mentioned uh, the portion where she talked about them putting out some sort of advertisement or what have you, where they got a transvestite to dress up like her and go out on a street corner. Like, wow. Tacky. Extra tacky. Uh, the person at two four five six two four five six. Did you have uh, commentary? Yeah. Hello, everyone. With, now, uh, was she the only one that ended up going to jail and getting some type of punishment for this? I mean, it was a group of them. Was she the only one? Yes. Wow. Okay. I, I'm. I'm rooting. For I'll just go ahead and make it through. And I, at the end, I kind of came in at the end, so, I, you know, my apologies. But she was saying something about she would never hire a black person or somebody black. Maybe she had a bad time with black people at, at her workplace. Is Was that true? Yes. Okay, okay. All right. Well, I just had a couple questions. Thank you so much for answering my questions. Yes, ma'am, for sure. Um. I was trying to think of how to quantify uh, one-eighth for people who do not consume, and I'm having uh, a tough time. But uh, as someone who has consumed a share, a significant share of cannabis uh, throughout life, that to me seems like a lot. Now, I do know people who consume quite a bit more, whatever. But to me, that does seem like on the uh, kind of hefty side, on a daily, uh, a daily rate. Like, I can't think there's ever been a a point in life where I consumed that much on a daily basis. Like that is, I think that could last some people easy. Like I think some people could smoke every day and not consume that much in a week. All right. Right. Correct. An eighth a day is, I would say balling. (laughs) An eighth a day is. (laughs) Right. Everyone is excited. Let me see. uh, Ross in New York. Yes, sir. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, I thought that was pretty excessive too, and I, I have a feeling probably the stress she's under, um, like some of the previous callers were saying, due to what the racists are putting her and her family through. Sadly, is probably what's driving that consumption. I'm thinking in my mind, um, just just you know, just knowing how, like you said, we we as black people self medicate in the system. Um, I think that's probably, I could be wrong, but I think that could be what the driving force is behind that kind of consumption. My thing was, um, when I thought about how she answered my question, when I asked her, I said, well, do you think, you know, the people that you're working with were practicing a highly refined form of racism due to the fact that they did not show up, you know, when everything, you know, hit the fan with her, they were nowhere to be found. And now you're facing you know, I was just 
you know, the, the vast majority of your reproductive years, you, you probably won't even be reproductive by the time you get out 54 years and you're 28. Jeez. I mean, like, um, and I said, the same people who abandoned you are the same people now you're facing to fight for your life. And she thought about it. Um, but I still don't think she made that connection between the, how they function. And then I also chimed in with the fact that, um, you know, white people are vengeful. And I think, part of the reason her white ex-boyfriend didn't show up is because he doesn't want to be associated with a black female like that. And for the, and for it to come out and become public knowledge that he was actually sleeping with this black female. And then also the fact that, um, white people are retaliatory, like someone else said earlier. And the fact that, um, you know, once, once they knew she was sleeping with a white person that they could have set this all up because again, 800 out of a thousand people in that group are white. You are the sole black person that she's a beautiful, dark-skinned uh, African female, and you're the only one that has going, that's going through this. You're the only one that this whole thing is centering on. And not only that, just think about the fact that she never sold a thing to anyone. The agents bought drugs at that, at that facility, but she was never the person who they made a purchase from. So as far as, like, a direct crime, she didn't even do, like, a hand-to-hand sale for them to, like, throw the cuffs on and say, well, you, you know, you gave us drugs and we bought it from you, so you're in trouble. Like, what happened to the people who actually sold the drugs to those agents? You know, nothing happened to them, and I'm pretty sure they were probably white. But my thing is, like, just, and I think it goes back to what Thomas in New York said, um, once you sleep with a white person, I think your whole version of reality is just skewed. And unless you're the type of person who may have had sexual contact with a white person and you understand the ramifications of what that sexual contact has done to your life and you, you know, you do a complete 180 and say, okay, I'm done with that. You know, and, and what I find is there's very few people that tend to think that way that I've come across, you know, more than likely, more than likely your mind is going to be so messed up because, you know, Jesus made love to you and Jesus looked you in the eye with those ice blue eyes and told you that they loved you or whatever. None, none, your ability to really see things the way they are. And for all that she's suffering through, um, I just find that to be just a, a travesty and a tragedy that, um, that, that uh, she's going through this kind of stuff, and the I, and even when she went back and said she would do it again, like dealing with these white folks, it's 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 really like it's it's sad to me, and I really really wish her the best because she seems to be an extremely strong person. She seems to have strong convictions about what she's doing, and I can totally understand that. But um, yeah, it's just it's it's life saving information. That's why I'm thankful for this show. Um, and again, I'll mute my line. Thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, the person hey, Jeff, who dialed Jeff, in. Hang on Jeff, one second. On hang on one second. Keep... Hang on one second. The person who called in at six nine hundred six nine hundred. Did you have a observation? Yes. Uh, good evening, everyone. This is Jay out of New York. Um, thanks for the uh, show, Gus. Um, one thing that I noticed, and this kind of came from listening to the show the other night with Mr. Green and his tragic relationship. Um, Miss Natasha Marin, um, the show that you just had yesterday. And that was kind of a tragic situation in of itself, but it wasn't tragic. I guess I kind of put it that way. And Miss Charlo, it seemed like there's this constant need, or just from looking at the demographic of the people within all of the individual areas, they had this 60% and above white 
population that they seem to all be trying to fight to stay in good graces with. And I think mentally, even though they're going through these tragic situations, each of them seem to still be trying to stay in good graces, which is why they're saying they would still, she would still, you know, work to be in connection with those individuals, still look to help Mr. Green, even though he was going through his situations, being called nigga, nigger, whatever it was, he was still okay with it. Miss Marin stating that everybody should go out and be with white people, at least try it and then try everything else. It just seems like once you kind of swell into this tragic environment, a way out of that darkness, and they just all seem trapped is what I got from listening to these shows back back to back. So I thank you for what you're doing because it's, it's such a help to me, which will be a help to my kids and to everybody else that's in my circle. But um, it's just amazing, <clears throat> excuse me, listening to these shows back to back and just seeing the detriment that it's causing and, and how while they're in it, they, they just don't seem to see it. Um, but that's all I wanted to add. Thanks for the call. I'll meet my line. For sure. Just making sure I haven't uh, missed anyone. Uh, Ken, did you get a com- get an opportunity to comment since Miss Green exited? Um, no, I haven't. Uh, I-, I just wanted to say, yeah, uh, I know that we're not to speculate on why she did what she did in the manner that she did, but I will say that um, backwards specifically she mentioned that she smoked uh, and ate the day out of backwards and that is a rough smoke and um, that can do um, untold damage to your mind after one backward uh, I I can't think straight I can't operate correctly um, and I can't consume more than two backwards or two dutches uh, in a day without uh, feeling nauseous for a good chunk of the day. So I'll say that, uh, you know, um, if she's consuming an eighth a day out of backwards, that is very excessive consumption. That's some of the roughest smoke that she's doing, and she should uh, consider alternative methods of medication, uh, maybe take up yoga perhaps, but uh, – this is um, this is definitely not the way, and I will say that um, um, man, if she is listening, um, she really needs to reconsider um, the path that she's taking um, for marijuana to have caused this much trouble in her life. I for any individual. Um, and for it to have gotten this far, um, it would require for her to have uh, engaged in behavior that that um, really went outside of the uh, area of, of norms that I'm uh, seeing here. And I, I don't know. I, I just um, I, I have to thank you, Gus. Um, I wish I had a program like this when I was uh, in college um, just to kind of uh, get my mind in the right area of, of thinking 
with respect to uh, dealing with suspected white supremacists, because I think that is, um, along with the marijuana consumption, I think just her interactions with these people are um, causing her to behave in a way that is only creating more trouble for herself. And I'll say that in my lifetime, I've experienced a lot of what she's going through, maybe on a smaller scale, but um, I, I will say that one of the big things that was different um, about my life then versus now is that I had uh, a tremendous amount of exposure to white people, and, um, and uh, it definitely uh, created a lot of confusion um, about uh, the behavior that I was going through throughout the day. And, um, yeah, I'll go ahead and mute my line from there. Thank you so much. For sure. Uh, caller at 2755, are you with us, ma'am? Did you have commentary? Um, I just wanted to reiterate about uh, what she was saying about how she smoked and ate the weed I, I mean, a day. That's, that's crazy. I mean, I know that she's the owner and... Um, Backwards are <laughs> are pretty rough. At least, like switch to vaping or something. I also um, wanted to say that I remember I watched a um, a documentary on her uh, that was on Vice. It was on the it was on YouTube, and the guy that she was dating was in that documentary. He wasn't like um, uh, interviewed. Well, actually, I think. oh, you know, this is my boyfriend, but she was, like, uh, in her room, hugged up and kissing with him. And um, I thought the uh, documentary was quite funny because this was about weed on Vice, and they blocked out, that like, blurred out all the weed, all the weed and, um, like, if people had blunts or joints in their hand, they blocked all that out as well. Um, so quite interesting on that. But, I mean, I wish her the best, and I think that she's... Uh, Something is going on with people that are not connected to the continental United States, but they just don't have that, um, I guess, the same experience with white people. Because um, she, she also did state that when she was living in Texas that she did feel it more. So I think maybe that is contributing to her being so um, loose and open with white people uh, very interesting guys. Thank you for the show. For sure. Uh, two eight nine nine. Is this Ramon? Did you have uh, commentary? No, Gus. I was just trying to get onto your uh, PayPal thing. Uh, I want to help you guys keep this going. I love I love what you're doing, but I'm having the trouble with your link. So maybe I can send you an email to ask how to fix it. Oh, okay. Uh, until justice at gmail dot com. Uh, if you want to. Drop an email until justice at gmail.com. And uh, no, Gus, I want to make a donation, sir. I, I wasn't trying to be public with it, but your PayPal link is giving me some troubles, is what I'm doing, is what I'm finding. Oh, right. I was saying just email me and I can help, you know, solve the problem if you drop me an email. Uh, did you, it, will that work? If you drop me an email, will that work? Yeah, yeah. Any way you could do it outside of PayPal, if that's not going to hold us up. Absolutely. And I'm done. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Uh, you just drop me an email until justice at gmail dot com, and I will hook it up for you. Um, yeah, I think we got. I don't think we missed anybody. Uh, I think everybody who has a hand up got them. Um, 
again, we'll be here tomorrow, every day for a while. Uh, so this topic will probably come up again. Um, I can only say I'm so glad that I had her on the program because I think she did just a fabulous job of breaking down and getting into the details about what's going to happen when these states legalize. I think she said that she thought the proposition in California was going to pass. I think it is as well. Uh, and she talked about all the loopholes to continue uh, attacking black people. Uh, and in fact, people there even are knowledgeable about this to some degree, just from how things have operated before and having an understanding of racism, white supremacy. They just had a report on uh, NPR where black people in Oakland uh, were talking about the way that they are hounded by enforcement officials that does not happen where whites live in Oakland, California, and they think this will continue even once it's legalized, because I think it'll pass in November. But I think she did a great job just sharing some of those details so that people can kind of keep that in mind moving forward so that we don't get too excited. Again, I don't think anybody should be going to prison, not Charlotte Green or any, anybody else, uh, for consumption uh, or possession uh, of cannabis. Absolutely not. But I do not think uh, racist deciding at this point, now we want to start and legalize cannabis everywhere. I do not think that that is going to end up working out to our benefit for many of the exact reasons that she laid out. In addition to I also said, I think, uh, just terrorizing people. I go back to the alcohol thing. We've, uh, in the half has never been told medical apartheid. It pops up over and over again. Uh, we will get our enslaved black people, make sure that they can't think too clearly, make sure that they aren't too sober. Here, have a little drink. Here, have a little drink. I think racists are very good at that sort of thing, uh, getting us to take whatever it is to self-medicate so that we are not seriously focused on eradicating that problem. And again, if you are going to consume, you should have a code about your consumption of cannabis. Sobriety would be best, but if you're not used to say that all the time on the program, I would say for alcohol, it should be the same thing uh, for cannabis because it's so obvious that we have, we end up being terrorized frequently around this substance, just little things. I'm not going to, I was even surprised when she said she just kind of consumes wherever she wants, whenever she wants. Um, it is legal in Alaska the same way it's legal here, but just like with like a beer, you cannot just walk around and consume. Like I would be, I would be terrified about that if I had charges pending and to just be like out and put, I could be totally crazy, but to be in a system of white supremacy, that seems like you are really like taunting racist man, racist woman with something like that. But maybe it's a different environment in Alaska or, what have you, or maybe I'm just, you know, a little bonkers myself. Uh, last comment before we wrap things up. We'll be here tomorrow. Anybody else? Anything else they needed to get in? Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, hello? Thomas, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I just want to say something about um, Mr. Ken Thompson, can I? Yes, sir. Uh, I've noticed this two straight shows, two straight days, where you said that um, people have been very negative about Mr. Ken Thompson on the internet, which is sad that he's dead. And um, as you know, I'm not an advocate for black district attorneys. However, uh, I don't think people really understand how huge Mr. King Thompson's job was. Just today in the paper here in New York, it gave um, a demographic breakdown. Um, Brooklyn now has over 2.7 million people. 945,000 or so were black. Um, 
I think the only other place in the country that black is Chicago. So this is where if we if we're in a system of racism, white supremacy, you could imagine how racist Brooklyn is. Um just off the sheer amount of black people they have there. Um, just think of where you live. If your city has 945,000 people, um, I doubt it. That's just the black people. So he had an immense job. And um, amongst those people in Brooklyn, they, they liked the job he was doing. Um, a lot of the black people on the street, he did get a lot of people out of jail. Um, they just did a highlight on him the other day. And I was looking at some of his accomplishments and for him to be in a place where your hands as a black man is completely tied, I mean, all the power in Brooklyn goes to um, groups of white people. Um, he did an excellent job, and he doesn't deserve to be ostracized in his death. And I'll be my line thinking. Well said. I would add, no black person uh, deserves to be ostracized in death. I mean, you'd have to do something real bad. Um, but uh, for sure, Ken, and the thing that I've found while I keep saying it, I think a lot of people, they are not familiar with the full body of Ken Thompson's work. They just know Peter Liang. I suspect a lot of people didn't even know his name until the Akai Gurley murder trial. And then it was Ken, Tom, Ken Thompson is a coon and a sambo and blah, 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 blah. If you look at his body of work, I think a whole lot of people, you don't deserve to write a sentence. You don't deserve to write a semicolon of criticism about Ken Thompson putting his record up against what you've done to work against racism, white supremacy. It is amazing. How about just reading about other things, random things, and his name would pop up where he helped get black people out of prison. It is amazing the things that he did in a very tough position, which would qualify for all of us. But yeah, I just find that to be extremely uh, distasteful. That is like a zero for black self-respect in my book. Uh, Roz and Ken, uh, you'll be our last two, and then we will ride out if y'all could be concise. Uh, Roz? Yes, thank you so much. I wanted to. I will be concise. I wanted to speak about um, Mr. Ken Thompson as well. Um, just to mirror what Thomas said, I'm from Brooklyn, and I live in New Jersey. Just for my studies and about the state of New Jersey, um, I call it the Alabama of the North because of how racist it is and the fact that the uh, state troopers, their outfits look like Nazi uniforms and how they treat black people. But I've had the worst experiences and the most intense white supremacist experiences in New York City and in, in Brooklyn in particular. So he's absolutely correct. Um, I think Mr. Thompson should be lauded. Um, he did a lot of phenomenal work because uh, it's just, it's, it's serious. It's really, really serious as far as the way that uh, white supremacy is practiced in, in the city of New York in particular. And there's parts of Brooklyn to this day that I would call sundown towns. You don't want to be black and caught in those neighborhoods after sundown because they will kill you. So definitely um, I would love to just get, pay maximum respect to Mr. Thompson um, and send my condolences out to his family and his friends. And hopefully um, over time uh, we can work to shift the uh, perception and understanding of this uh, very important figure as far as uh, fighting for uh, the freedom of black people. Thank you. And I'll meet my line. Ashe. And I think Ken Thompson put in measures to stop to help along with not criminalizing black people for canvas. I can probably pull that article up before we go offline. Uh, Ken, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ken in Chicago. I don't know if you muted yourself. We're not hearing you. I thought you said you had commentary again. Oh, yes. Okay. Hello? Can yes, I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes. I just wanted to uh, conclude this program by saying...
Um, yes, rest in power to Ken Thompson. Um, if you do the research, he has done a tremendous amount of work for the people of Brooklyn. And uh, in his position, none of us know exactly what he, what was told to him, what kind of meetings that he was privy to, or what kind of information that he had that caused him to be in this position to um, have the results of the Akai Gurley case um, as they were. Um, and then with that said, I just wanted to um, tag on to the overall theme of tonight's program by saying just because they say it's legal, um, it doesn't mean that it's okay or that we are allowed to do it. I have recalled several times that I've been in courtrooms where defendants have uh, asserted that they have the right to smoke marijuana because they are uh, registered um, or they have some sort of marijuana card. And I have seen judges, uh, upon learning this information, uh, play stipulation on their bail that they are not allowed to consume marijuana. So, um, Charlotte Green, um, be very careful with your consumption. Um, all other victims of white supremacy, be very, very, very careful with your consumption. And again, just because they say it's legal doesn't mean it's okay for you. Thank you so much. Ashe, well said. Uh, I did locate the article. In fact, I played this. It was just you. That's why I said, Ken Thompson, I have forgotten. He has done so much stuff. I have forgotten things that he has done that were against racism, white supremacy. The Wall Street Journal published, uh, this is from two years ago, most small cannabis cases are dismissed. Uh, Brooklyn's district attorney, Ken Thompson, decided this week not to prosecute low-level marijuana possession. I am sure many whites in that part of New York were not pleased about his decision with regards to that. Anywho, we will be here tomorrow with a different black attorney, uh, Anthony Morgan, uh, joining us from Canada. Uh, he has worked a lot dealing with uh, issues of racism impacting black people uh, in Canada. We'll get his thoughts on Black Lives Matter Toronto, cannabis legalization in Canada, uh, and why Bamboozled is his favorite film. Same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. If you have problems... Uh, I think I put the incorrect time on the Black Talk Radio site for today's program, so my bad if anybody uh, was thrown off by an hour, uh, just made an error. Uh, I will make an effort to do better moving forward. Uh, but tomorrow we're here, normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we'll be here every day for roughly the next two weeks. The email again, if you have a problem, confusion, guest suggestion, untiljustice at gmail.com. Uh, Listener-supported, counter-racist radio. Invest if you think the program is constructive. The blog, racism-notes.blogspot.com. Racism-notes.blogspot.com. PayPal button is in the top right corner. If you're not into PayPal or if you're having problems with the link for some reason, drop me an email until justice at gmail.com. I will state again... Sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. 
if you cannot do sobriety, at least there should be a code about how you are going to consume whatever your narcotic is. I would have to exclude cigarettes from that. That should just be done away with. You know, there's no you don't want to be on a schedule about that or anything. Just get rid of that. You don't want to give them your money and you do not want to compromise your health with those. But with anything else, if you're going to consume, you should have a code uh, about how you are going to do so to make sure that you do not make new problems for yourself. Certainly in this day and age, I would not want to be intoxicated at all if you're going to be out in a vehicle, driver, passenger, even if you're going to be a pedestrian. You never know when today will be the day that you bump into a race soldier. Uh, Daniel Pantaleo, Darren Wilson, Daniel Holtzclaw, white person, badge or no, could be a dangerous life ending situation in a matter of seconds. I think most of us would do better in such situations if we are sober. That's it. Uh, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim brother a victim i'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my conditioning even my conditioning has been conditioned. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.